It's time for Twit This Week in Tech. I'm joined by a great panel. Alex Kantrowitz is here from the Big Technology Podcast. Larry Magid from Larry's World. And, of course, Stan Patterson of CBS News. Lots to talk about. Apple is backing down on its CSAM plans. We'll talk about what that means and whether they might change their plan entirely. Windows 11 <laughs> broken by injecting ads. We've got a fix. How do you feel about editing the registry? And a seemingly normal lightning cable that can spy on everything you type. It's all coming up next on Twit. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Twit, This Week in Tech, episode 839, recorded Sunday, September 5th, 2021, A Faster Horse. This Week in Tech is brought to you by Udacity. Gain in-demand tech skills in as little as three months with Udacity's part-time online tech courses. Visit udacity.com slash twit and get 75% off any program with the code TWIT75, limited time offer. And by ExpressVPN. Using the internet without ExpressVPN is like driving without car insurance. Why take the risk? Protect yourself with the VPN that I use and trust. Use my link expressvpn.com slash twit today and get an extra three months free on a one-year package. And by Molecule. Molecule is reimagining the future of clean air starting with the air purifier. For limited time, save up to $120 on Molecule air purifiers by visiting Molecule.com and using the promo code TWIT at checkout. Enjoy free shipping and a 30-day home trial on your order. And by Modern Finance. Are NFTs here for the long haul? Which cryptocurrency is a fad? How does decentralized finance work? Modern Finance Podcast, hosted by Kevin Rose, looks to answer these questions and many more about the investment marketplace. Download and subscribe to Modern Finance wherever you listen to podcasts and get ahead of the future of finance. It's time for Twit This Week in Tech, the show where we cover the week's tech news with a panel of fabulous tech journalists. Alex Kantrowitz is back from the Big Technology Podcast and his Big Technology Newsletter. Great to see you, Alex, author of Always Day One. Kara Swisher says, buy this book. Hi, Alex. <laughs> hey, Leo. Great to see you. <laughs> great to see you. Newly moved to uh, to the, the Big Apple. That's right. I went cross-country, moved from San Francisco to New York, and finally decided it was time to live on my own and ditch the roommates. So a big moment. In oh, life. that is. It's a every yeah. boy, a big moment in every boy's life. <laughs> That's right. You know, I, I could have lived with roommates forever, I think. But I had a friend visit, look around and be like, you can't keep doing this. <laughs> you're and you're, you're over. And here you're I grown am. up now. You're over 20. You, you should have your own. Place. That's right. That's fun. Are you in Manhattan? Are you in Brooklyn? Or Yeah, I'm in Brooklyn, right underneath the Barclay Center. So, oh, nice. Uh, I mean, I'm a lifelong Knicks fan, but uh, I plan to attend a bunch of Nets games this year. Yeah, there you go. It's just down the street. That's right. Also moving back to New York. I say back because Dan Patterson fled New York during uh, COVID, but he's back, which is a good sign for all of us. Technology reporter at CBS. Hi, Dan. Hey. Well, we just did part-time upstate and then part-time in the city. Nice. But, uh, you know, my wife and I both do uh, this live video thing, and it was in 700 square feet, a little challenging in, uh, <laughs> in New York City. Yeah, no kidding. 
Both you and... Uh, uh, but it is great to be back. Both you and Alex moved back uh, just in time for the flood. Yeah, well, uh, two. We had a hurricane two weeks ago. Oh, that's uh, right. Ground was saturated, totally saturated. Oh. Yeah, and then uh, this one, I think this one was bad, but it wouldn't have been nearly as bad without the the prior one. And right. our media, meteorologists keep saying, this is, climate change is not coming, it's here. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I guess you could debate that. I don't, you know, we still have people, uh, viewers of these shows, which surprises me, saying, oh, it's a hoax. <laughs> Yeah, what is it going to stop as, being as a, you want? But yeah. science doesn't care what about is, debates. What is it going to stop being a hoax? Oh, maybe when the whole place burns to the ground. I don't know. Uh, yeah, we've got our own problems out here in the West. That's where Larry Maggot is. Good to Fire. see you, Larry, from uh, ConnectSafely.org. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame we can't hang out in Petaluma like we did last time. Next time. I know. Time, hopefully. Yeah, we so we, there was this brief period of time when everything seemed like it was getting back to normal. Larry was sitting right next to me. Now we're back remote. Now we're back. Because Delta. <sighs> oh, well. Let's yeah. not, this has not become the, the apocalypse show, so we'll pretend something wonderful is going on. Let me see if I can find that. <laughs> oh, how about this? Apple says, oh, never mind. We spent many hours talking about Apple's child sexual abuse material detection. Uh, Larry, I should actually start with you because you are very active in protecting children online. Uh, Apple, as everybody knows, because we talked about it uh, ad ad nauseum, uh, was going to use the database from NECMEC. You work closely with NECMEC, the National Center. I was on their board for 20 years. Yeah, Missing Exploited Children. They're an organization started and funded by the government, but non-governmental. They're a non-profit. But they do maintain, and they're the only place legally allowed to maintain, a database of child sexual abuse material. They create a fingerprint hash that almost everybody uses to detect it on their own servers. So they don't have to send the images around, just the fingerprint. And Google, Microsoft, Facebook, everybody uses this to detect it. Apple's proposal was a little different. Instead of scanning right there on iCloud, as everybody else does, Apple wanted to scan the images on their way to iCloud. In, In other words, put the scanner on your phone and I don't know if that was what triggered people, but there was something about this sacrosanct phone that made people say no, Apple. And uh, Apple's, I think, listening. Uh, it might have been you, all those ads Apple ran that said what happens in your phone stays in your phone. Yeah, Apple right. might have. Could have been, that could have been why people thought this about their iPhones. Yeah, I think you're right. They created expectations. And, of course, Apple <laughs> fought the good fight with the FBI around the time when the FBI wanted to break their uh, encryption around the, the, San, the San Bernardino shooter. The thing that, but I think Apple really had a bad messaging over this. I mean, part of the problem is the kind of stuff that Apple would have reported to NECMEC, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. I don't want to go into it on this show, but this is not pictures of topeless 17 year olds. Oh, no, this it's is horrible, really, really horrible. horrible, horrible stuff. That's stip- we can stipulate that. Yeah. And, and and I think it's important, and I, I'm going to let you talk in a second, but I think it's important yeah. to say right up front, nobody who was opposed to this was in favor of this imagery, right. child pornography, pederasty of any kind. Nobody was saying that. But there is also this notion that if a company wants to do something intrusive, they wrap it in think of the children or terrorism. They wrap it in these hot-button subjects so that deflects criticism. 
So uh, I just want to say that up front. Nobody's proposing that this stuff should exist. Everybody says, yes, it's a good idea to come up with stuff. In fact, I'm going to go a step farther. I don't think anybody is mad at Facebook or Microsoft or Google for doing the same thing on their cloud servers. Right. In fact, Google does it with Gmail attachments. And nobody right. nobody said boo about that. Right. And in fact, they're obligated. If it, if it shows up on their servers and if their algorithm matching software, which, by the way, was developed by Microsoft, it's called PhotoDNI, if it spots it or if it, it gets a hit against the NECMEC database, then they are legally obligated to report it to the cyber tip line, which is operated by the National Center. And I think that's a good model. I think part of Apple's problem is, again, on one hand, I think they were thinking that by doing this on the device, they were actually making for greater privacy for their, their users. But it really confused the matter and, and, and created a backlash, which was probably fair. I'm not saying it was, it's unfair, but it, 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 it was unfortunate because they were trying to do the right thing. You say the benefits, you actually wrote an article about this last yeah. month, uh, uh, outweigh the risks. But has, your, yeah, has your mind been changed in the three weeks since by the conversation? To some extent. Um, I, I think the, 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 if I were to rewrite that article today, I would say they need to figure out a way to reduce the risks and, you know, to enhance the benefits. Because I, I think, again, if they move it to the iCloud server and, and stop scanning on the phone, uh, then I would say the risks are are very well under control. And so, I don't think anybody would object to that because right. this I is think, what everybody does. I was just trying to make the point that there's a really good reason to do this. And and I also made the point that there are always risks in any form of surveillance. Look, I've got a, a doorbell camera. Uh, I think it has great benefits. But does that mean that if you decide to walk in front of my house with somebody you shouldn't be with, that your privacy could be invaded? Absolutely. And so we have to figure out all of these trade-offs you know, in the world that we live in right now. Uh, Apple obviously feeling the heat. They were planning to roll this out with iOS 15, which I'm going to guess would have rolled out this month. I think that's pretty safe. Uh, have decided to delay it. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they're going to wait until the heat <laughs> cools off and then do it, or if they want to find a better way to do it. But it be my guess that what Apple, Apple did not want to do what you suggested, Larry, because... Ultimately, they'd like to have end-to-end -end encryption on iCloud so right. that they can avoid subpoenas from law enforcement in this country and other countries. They can avoid that whole thing by putting end-to-end -end encryption on iCloud, which means the only way they could find those images is on their way in or on their way out. Yeah. And by the way, you know, encryption is uh, – having been on the board of the National Center, uh, most of my colleagues were very anti-encryption. And I argued that encryption actually protects children along with everyone else so that – there, you know, there are pros and cons from the, from the safety standpoint. Forget other issues. From a safety standpoint, there are advantages to encryption as well as some risks that it brings in or at least hamperings of law enforcement. And it I very well could be that oh, – I'm ahead. sorry. No, please. Go ahead. Uh, that, that Apple's rationale was based on this kind of reductionist lack of nuance – conversation that has happened with their peers, uh, particularly Facebook, and their peers also uh, acquire the language around safety and encryption to talk about how your content is protected. But there really has been a, an unnuanced debate about this exact topic, and many of Apple's peers have kind of confused it and harmed public trust. So it could have been that Apple was maybe... Um, trying to do exactly what you suggested. Um, I, I don't know, but I think the, the, it could have been that they're looking for a simpler solution. 
Yeah, I'm uh, not sure who you're ta- who you're talking about. So Facebook is getting a lot of flack from law enforcement and many in the child safety community. Not me, but others. I was talking about Facebook specifically. Yeah. Well, Facebook and other and Google and anyone who's who's doing encryption is bound to get flack from law enforcement and some people in child protection. And they and if are, they don't but do it, also... they're going to get flack from everybody else. But Facebook reported yeah. 20, more than 20 million uh, images matching the NCMEC database in 2020. Apple reported 256. 20 million from Facebook, 256 from Apple. I think that number alone was one of the reasons Apple said, we got to do something. This does not look good, if nothing else. The optics are good. The main question here, and from my perspective, is where's the consistency for Apple? So if we look back to the time where the company had the showdown with the FBI over the San Bernardino terrorists phone, uh, the key wasn't, you know, should we protect this, you know, uh, this data that could potentially lead us to solve like what might be, you know, a terrorist network operating in the U.S. or foil the next attack. Apple's argument was if we are to create this key, we are going to create this opportunity for it to be used in the future for things that are not this specific. We're going to open the door. So therefore, we're not touching this at all. And while this is a valiant attempt, you know, it doesn't sync with the same logic they had back with the FBI case where like they're not going to allow any anything to happen on device because you don't know what it's going to be used for next. And I that think was exactly really get into trouble. What, what the EFF and many experts were worried about with Apple's uh, scanning on the phone is that it, then the government could come to Apple and said, well, by the way, we'd also like you to find an uh, image of, of gay uh, uh, kissing or something if it's right. Saudi Arabia. And as a result, it, that would be problematic. There were other issues as well. In fact, one of the things Apple seems to cite is that some of the technology, there were a lot of technologists using these neural hashes who said, you're going to have a problem. It's not that accurate. Um, the Apple said specifically, we want to make improvements before releasing these critically important child safety features. It's interesting. NECMEC warned Apple at the very beginning. This was another thing that lit a bit of a fire saying you're going to hear was it uh, Larry shrieking commentators decrying what you're doing pay no attention to them well that may have been a mistake at Neckmeck again I'm, yeah, I, no I'm, kidding I stepped down from the board a year ago so I can't take any responsibility but uh, there are people who Neckmeck who get it and there are people who don't and uh, the ones who get it understand that we have to we we cannot use child protection as an excuse for surveillance. Uh, and, you know, in, 19, in 2012, I gave two, I was supposed to give two speeches in Moscow. And I gave my first speech to a group of basically uh, NGOs where I argued that you cannot combine child protection or, or child pornography with other harms. And that was exactly what Putin and his team were doing. It's worse than Russia. anything else is what you're saying. Yeah. 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 You know, you've got to just focus on that. But Putin and, and, and company created this law that lumped all of these things, terrorism, child pornography, extremism, into one law. And guess what? The next speech I was supposed to give, suddenly they ran out of time right before I was about to speak. <laughs> and that was at a big government televised event. Uh, so they didn't like my message. Wow, that's pretty blatant. <laughs> yep, very blatant. Uh, but that, but very so you're, you're making the point that uh, Apple's running. A, and by the way, Apple may back down at this point or delay it. But by having announced that they can do it, they've already opened the door to this. Yeah. Because, in effect, you've well, said, well, we could do it. And, and Russia or Saudi Arabia or China could use that as, well, we know you can do it. So do it. 
It also makes you wonder what's actually behind the privacy messaging that Apple's been pushing at us for the last you know, few years. You know, is this actually a message based off of principles and values or is it a convenient marketing message to help position the right. iPhone against Facebook and the iPhone against Android? And that's why I brought up consistency earlier. If you're yeah. consistent with it, we can say, okay, these are your values. But if you say privacy for this, but not for that, and that's what Apple stands for, privacy, then you have to start scratching your head and you say, maybe this company isn't as you know devoted to privacy as a value as we once thought. Now, of course, Leo, you mentioned that this is not something that anybody would, you know, want. We wouldn't want these images out there at all. Um, well, that's it, the but question. It does, can and, we yeah. have privacy and block child pornography at the same time? Well, you can have you, you, you can, can have both. full you can have full safety in a society and be under authoritarian rule. Right. And it's always a balance of how much safety do you want and how authoritarian do you want to be? Exactly. Uh, and so this is and the let's decision not that forget- Apple made. This debate, this exact same debate is raging internally with Apple right now with their own employees. Um, and mm. they've had significant issues with the Apple II movement, um, you know, Cher Scarlett coming forward over the last couple of weeks and talking about how, look, there can be privacy for some things and security for some things at Apple. In fact, she told me, like, we have privacy and security for our devices and our products, but not our people. Our people are, are exposed if they speak out against Apple. And I I think that this, Alex, consistency is the exact same at the core, the exact same argument that's happening with Apple right now with their own employees. That's an interesting point. Yeah, Yeah. it's a fascinating moment for Apple because um, from my understanding, they've uh, there have been departments inside the company that have deployed Slack. And when you put these messaging apps inside a company. All these things that you used to have in terms of culture, whether it was top-down leadership or silos like Apple has had or the, a culture where you don't ask questions to uh, people above you, which Apple has had, that falls by the wayside. So I think we're entering an extremely fascinating moment for this company where we see whether it can maintain this siloed, secretive culture, one that doesn't empower employees to speak up, unlike Facebook or, and Google, or whether uh, you know Apple, you know, shuts down Slack and says we're going to keep doing things the way we've been doing, and how that impacts employee morale. So the cat's been let out of the bag, and I kind of think it's an exciting yeah. moment because their culture did need to be tested, and I'm glad to see that we're we're starting and, to see the beginning of that. You're probably referring to the fact that Apple, which uses Slack for internal messaging, banned a Slack channel that was talking yeah. about yep. pay equity, yeah. uh, saying it, we don't allow personal conversations on our business slack meanwhile there's a dogs channel and others that they did not ban so you know they not only did they so not only did they you they ban it they used a a completely pathetic excuse for doing so apple Mm. employees have slack channels to discuss hashtag fun dogs more than five thousand members hashtag gaming three thousand members there's a two thousand member dad jokes channel but don't have a channel discussing pay equity in partial defense of oh. Apple, not around the, not around the pay equity issue, but around the whole issue of encryption and, and data collection, the entire safety community that I'm very much part of deals with nuances. So, for example, as an ACLU member, I feel very, very strongly about free speech, but I also feel very strongly about hate speech and about uh, misinformation. Of course, and, and the ACLU is famous rights. for defending the Skokie, yeah. Illinois Nazis. Exactly. 
But th- these are competing. In other words, there are competing rights or competing issues that aside from any commercial questions, aside from the fact whether these are greedy corporations trying to extract every possible penny, these companies, and I can't speak so much for Apple because they're not one of our partners, but certainly Facebook, Twitter, Google, companies we do work with, Microsoft, they do struggle with these questions of how do we balance these competing rights, you know, right of safety, the difference is, right of speech, et cetera. As Alex has pointed out, they don't have big advertisements saying what's what happens <laughs> on your iPhone stays on your iPhone. Well, exactly. That's true, too. Apple's kind of walked into this uh, buzzsaw and... So let me ask you, Larry, is 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 it compatible uh, privacy of your device and protecting his child sexual abuse material? Are those I understand you're saying it's nuanced. You have to weigh them. But they seem like like they're at direct odds. I mean, what I do on my phone is private. It's my personal phone. And people are this is the part of the problem is this is a new device. It's a new concept that I would store such personal stuff on a device that's always connected to the internet has a microphone a camera and a gps is right there this kind of paradox they are in conflict but it's not as if that law enforcement has no resources at all i mean there's metadata for example Mm. which can be used i mean it's not unlike the whole wiretapping rules i mean uh, you know how you what you can access and what you can't and law enforcement i'm sure if they could would love to have a complete access to every device in the world they don't but they still have tools that they can use to, to bust bad guys. And it, it's just going to, you know, it's going to be harder for them, not because we want to make the job, their job harder, but because we want to, as much as possible, protect the rights of citizens. Balance and privacy. This is what conflict. the Constitution's all about. Balance right. privacy, because the, the, founding, the founders were concerned about the king of England going to their home and looking for stuff. That's why there's a Fourth Amendment. And they, and they balance this need for law enforcement versus this need and and, exactly. and constitutional right, not just need, but a right to privacy of your personal effects. Yeah. Uh, and I, I guess the courts can weigh in on this. Uh, that's certainly you know part of their job. I don't know. Um, I I don't know where I stand on this. No one's supporting CSAM. No one's supporting these these horrible people in their in what they do. Uh, and and by the way. Apple didn't roll it out. They pre-announced it. So you might argue, as John Gruber on Daring Fireball has, is this is exactly what Apple's intent was, to start this conversation. Uh, So it may not be that Apple was acting irresponsibly, that they were saying, well, we want to do this. What do you think? And they heard, and admittedly, uh, late afternoon on Friday and a long weekend maybe is not the most newsworthy time to announce Mm -hmm. an embarrassing uh, backing down, but they did back down. Now we'll see what happens in the long run. Yeah. They also, and Larry, I got to ask you this: they also told us how, if you're a child pornographer, you can avoid it. Just turn off iCloud Photos, and it, and it doesn't it doesn't happen. Yeah, and and you can find another way to share the data, like through an encrypted service. So it's not as if, and that's that's interesting. You point that out because this material will exist with or without what Apple is planning on doing. Uh, and yeah. unfortunately, these guys will go to any lengths to get this, to share this kind of material. So, um, so what's the point what of even trying to enforce this? Uh, I mean, I would, I don't know. Maybe child pornographers are particularly stupid people, but it's not going to. Maybe they're not. Well, I mean, <laughs> I have to admit, uh, I've told this story before. But when Patrick Norton and I were talking to the Secret Service about forensics and so forth, one of the guys said, "You know, the truth is most crooks are stupid, and we'll even just hand you the password, so you don't." You know, most cases, 
uh, it's easy to catch these guys. I don't know if that's true uh, now, but Apple, it sounds like, to be honest, Apple was doing this for PR because there is a way to turn it off. And somebody who's actually doing this, by pre-announcing it, they're saying, hey, you know, if you want to keep doing it, turn off iCloud Photo. So it's going to have zero impact in enforcement. It's a public relations move. Much like most of their uh, proclamations on privacy yeah. over the past few years. And the only real problem is it's a, it's a PR move in, the, in contradiction to what they've been saying up to now. In both cases, it's PR. It's marketing. Your iCloud was never private, by the way. In fact, that's what they told the, the San Bernardino the FBI in the San Bernardino case. They said, had you brought the phone back to his house, right. it probably would have connected to iCloud and synced up. And we would have been glad to hand that data over. Or they would have been forced to, even if they didn't do it voluntarily. Yeah, maybe they're not glad. I can't, I can't but impute they can be their, subpoenaed, clearly. their feelings Anything about the it. Cloud. But we've, yeah. we know that they hand, hand over, yeah. often hand over data from sure. the cloud. Sure. Because they have And, the and that's the thing. And that thing, and the problem is, if it's encrypted on its way to the cloud, you know, it may be impenetrable, and that's the problem for law enforcement. Is, is I there, think that know, I need. honestly think that Apple, and they haven't said this, wanted to turn on end-to-end encryption for the cloud. They had mentioned this before, and apparently, according to some sources, were talked out of it by the FBI. But I think mm-hmm. Apple would, and maybe the plan was for Apple to turn that on and say, "But look, we're we're giving law enforcement a way to scan this before it gets to the cloud." And that's all we're going to give them. So maybe the danger, this was if, all about Apple protecting privacy. What if somebody steals your phone? Can they can they get access to, to this kind of data? No, that's the whole point. That's why the, yeah. that's why the FBI San Bernardino case was such a big deal. Apple said under no yeah. circumstances are we going to allow even law enforcement to unlock that phone. That phone is sacrosanct. Right. It's encrypted. Right. So what about that, Alex? Well, maybe this is more PR. <laughs> Yeah, look, I, I mean, I think that it's very uh, reasonable that we brought up Facebook as the other company that we're comparing Apple to yeah. when it comes to detecting these images. I'll tell you why. Uh, Apple and Facebook are competitors in ways that people don't speak about enough. We talk about Apple and Android. But the truth is that Facebook has the set of messaging apps that will allow people to unhook themselves from the Apple ecosystem and move to Android. And in fact, they're probably going to prevent a lot of... Uh, uh, iPhone penetration in countries where WhatsApp is strong because why you know you use your phone message for messaging primarily it's the most important thing you do on your phone and so Apple sees Facebook as this ultimate competitor and that's why you've seen all these ads about what happens on your iPhone stays on your iPhone is because the company is positioning itself against Facebook because oh. it doesn't want you using those messaging apps so you stay on iMessage and you stay on iPhones and you keep upgrading you buy your next oh. Mac and you buy your next iPhone and the, the list goes on. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that when it comes to PR, that's why privacy has been the most, and I've been hinting at it at this point, but I might as well come out and say it explicitly. I think that's why privacy has been at the core of Apple's uh, uh, marketing efforts, Facebook number one, and then, of course, you know, positioning itself against Android number two to make itself a luxury product. Uh, and right. so at the end of the day, Leo, I think what you're pointing on is, uh, is extremely salient and, and sort of core to the whole deal with Apple at this point, which is that the company is going to scare you about the other uh, uh, the other uh, company's privacy in order to keep you inside its ecosystem, in order to keep Facebook weak and under the gaze of regulators and third parties, uh, while Apple sits out and says, okay, I'm doing good. And, and I to think reduce Facebook seen, to an app that sits on the iPhone. Correct, exactly. Yeah. So I think, I think what we've seen here... And convince you to here, pay twice as much for an iPhone than an Android exactly. phone. Exactly. 
Yes, everybody is together. Privacy. And so I think what we've seen here is exactly the case. It's Apple all of a sudden. And that's, again, it comes to consistency. Apple tried to make this PR move, showed that it was inconsistent, that it didn't really care as much about the privacy as it might actually be be saying. And it was all about the public relations and the marketing impact. You know, Steve Jobs back in the day said said marketing is all about who you are and what you stand for. Right. And so that's what they're trying to say. They stand for privacy. But when you start to peel back the layers a little bit, you don't you see that this isn't exactly the big angel that it makes itself out to be. And that's, I think, what's being exposed in this moment. That's the real bottom line of all this. Let me read you two quotes from an Apple employee. And this, you know, going back to the point of this is a a critical juncture for this company. Um, I mean, first of all, they're never going to invite me to anything ever again. uh, Or any of (laughs) us. But join the club, okay? Yeah, right. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, look, when I was at CNET, I couldn't report on Apple for obvious reasons. But now that I'm at a news company, let's talk about some things that are happening there. One is that they never leak. They never leaked, at least in any usable way. Now they do. Their employees leak quite a bit. Um, Let me read you these quotes, two quotes that I think are pretty important. Um, The culture of secrecy is great for protecting our products and for protecting our users. But if our own employees cannot speak out about sexual harassment or unequal pay, then it works to the company's advantage and not yours. You become a target. You are unsafe. This is an Apple employee who said this. Let me read you another quote from her. Non-white, non-male employees at Apple are at a financial and decision-making disadvantage because these people are terrified of retribution. That's a direct quote from an Apple employee. And I'm an Apple consumer. but Yeah, you know, I I feel guilty because I have a lot of Apple stuff. I have to say... I mean, this is too... To Alex's point about consistency and about how their own employees feel and feel, I mean, the safety of their own employees is uh, right now, it's a raging issue. I mean, this is, it's a really challenging time for this company to position themselves as like the one golden angel in Silicon Valley. I've avoided uh, talking about this because labor issues are complicated. There's, uh, there's two sides off of the company cannot express its side. It's difficult. Uh, so in our Apple coverage, we've kind of, you know, okay. tried to st- no, 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 I'm not saying to stop. I'm just saying why we haven't covered this more. Uh, but you have been and you've been digging. Is it is it your opinion that this is actually this is a widespread problem in Apple? This isn't just a few. Let me tell employees. you, after share came forward in early August and look, the Verge covered a, a bunch of other sources. Outlets covered this like I'm certainly not alone and I haven't done the vast majority of this. I think the Verge has done great reporting on it. Um, Cher said after she came out with her initial reports that a thousand other Apple wow. employees came forward to her. Uh, she put my phone number and I'm sure she's done this with many other journalists. It's not me. It's many people covering Apple. And she put my phone number in a spreadsheet and it's now being shared with a number of people at Apple. And they, I mean, not my phone number, it's my Google voice, but they call and leave voicemails. Yeah, this is widespread at Apple. And I, I, I look, I'm not, it's dangerous to talk like this about Apple. Um, oh yeah, Cher Scarlett has but, been doxxed and harassed because yeah. you, you, know, you don't want to upset Apple people. Not by the company. Um, I don't know if the company's harassed her by by outside. Yeah. Right. It, it's it is literally dangerous. It's weird. I mean, people. Are, yeah, it's a yeah. Covering Apple like this is this is an unprecedented moment in that company's history. This is why you don't. Uh, sad to say, in this 
day and age, you don't you're careful not to come forward about anything. This is why when somebody does come forward, it's worth crediting them because it is, and they know it, it is a dangerous thing. To, whether it's Me Too or Apple Too, it's a dangerous thing to step forward. Um, okay, so this is, uh, you know, we'll probably cover it more now because uh, it's clearly become an issue with Apple. Has the, is the, is the, is the shine come off the Apple? Uh, is this going to hurt them as a business or no? They're, they're on their way to a $3 trillion market cap. I'll buy the next iPhone. Yeah, see, this is the problem. <laughs> right there in a nutshell. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of people will buy the next iPhone, and I think that's that's fine. But I keep hoping we'll get to a point where people actually look at these devices and realize that they're paying a lot of money for sort of spit and polish and marketing. And, you know, this is the best iPhone ever. Well, of course, it's the best iPhone right. ever. It's the newest iPhone. But, I mean, there's some great alternatives out there. Is Android... Is Android from any manufacturer? Let me, add, Dan. You, you used to in an earlier life. You used to teach dissidents in countries where it was dangerous to be a dissident, how to protect themselves. Would you say to them, use an iPhone? Yeah, because it was. Uh, I mean, less look, I, risky. I have colleagues who do far more of this than I do, but I, I've spent time in Darfur. I've spent time in Cairo, in Ukraine, and places where your device security is your personal security. Yep. And I, I spent, I mean, not long, just a couple of weeks in Cairo teaching these Sudanese guys how to use security and encryption. And in fact, we brought them uh, Android phones because you could put Tor on an Android phone. Um, but we demonstrated everything on an iPhone and my personal device was an iPhone. Now, you still have to use good operational security. You still have to use a VPN. You never touch a Wi-Fi network, never touch the actual mobile network itself. You know, do do all of your good OPSEC stuff. But um, I don't know how it is today. I think I would take a Samsung with Knox maybe. Yeah. Uh, but I, I still would feel better taking an iPhone. I don't think I would go to Russia with any kind of phone. But also, uh, I, I think it was creepy enough, but... <laughs> Yeah. It's it's. I think talking about locations is important, right? Like there are some places where you might want an iPhone above an Android. There are some places you definitely want an Android above an iPhone. Yeah, I'm talking you'll about be a China. target. Well, one and thing we've China, learned with the NSO group and Pegasus is that the iPhones are routinely and easily hacked by yes. nation states. And and I, as far as I can tell, Google doesn't have yeah. Google doesn't have a server uh, stored on another government's property where the New York Times reported recently that Apple does have some of its servers sure. uh, in a data warehouse that they rent from a Chinese gov government subsidiary. So this question has become far more complicated uh, over time. And largely the factor in my, from, from where, where I sit is the Chinese government's uh, relationship with Apple and Apple's relationship with the Chinese government. And once you have those phones, I think it is just the phones in China, but once you have those phones sitting in those, in those data uh, servers then, or the, the iCloud sitting in, in those servers, um, you know, it, it, it all of a sudden moves to uh, who is the Chinese government going right. to want to help. Right. And it's not just China, it's China and its allies and you end up in a pretty complicated web that doesn't make it, you know, as simple as it might have once been to say, you know, if you want security, go to the iPhone over the Android. It's actually complicated because Google doesn't do business in China. So, exactly. So there really is no phone you can buy in China that isn't <laughs> invaded by the Chinese government. That's just a given. Right. Um, mm. And so your OPSEC 
is going to have to consider that. And obviously, you keep everything encrypted. Probably don't put anything online at all. If I were, if I were there, it's we're lucky. Yeah. We're fat and happy. We could sit here and not worry so much about the security of our phone. For from for the average American or Western consumer, the difference between an iPhone and Android is not significant. But that's not the case. And you're right. It yeah. depends on where you are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you're absolutely right. When you travel internationally, I mean, when I was in China, I was certainly aware that I could not trust. I, ha- I think I had an Android with me at the time, but that I could not trust any security on that phone. Yeah. I mean, I just and I and I took some stuff off the phone before I before yeah. I got to China. Yeah. Well, right. and, and also before you go through U.S. customs, you might want to take everything off your phone again. Well, yeah, because <laughs> it's just as uh, just as intrusive. Uh, yeah. I somebody uh, periodically I get calls from people say I'm going to China. What VPN should I use? And while there are some VPNs that work in China, I always tell them, don't use a VPN. Uh, you're going to China. You are going to be uh, under the rules of the Chinese government. It would be rude to try to sneak around their rules. It would, might also be dangerous, probably not as a U.S. tourist, but don't. <laughs> you know, just understand you're surveilled. Used to be when you'd go to Russia, there'd be a minder on the floor of every hotel. And that person is watching your coming and going. They just accept that, that that is part of where you are. You Don't try to get around it. That's just a red flag, if you ask me. Mm. Oh, all right, let's take a break. Uh, there is a, there's a lot more to talk about. Well, I'm, this is good. We're going to do that. We're going to do the big heavy news stuff because we've got a great panel for that. Alex Kantrowitz is here. Big Technology Podcast, and of course his newsletter, bigtechnology.substack.com. Always day one. His book, absolutely a must-read. Thanks for being here. It's great to have you. Larry Maggid from the National, formerly of the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, now at connectsafely.org, with a similar message to protect kids online. Uh, and, a, and, a, and a regular uh, in various uh, venues. You still do some stuff on CBS, yeah? I'm still on CBS News twice a week. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. And speaking of CBS, from CBS News, our friend Dan Patterson, technology reporter there, uh, long time, all three of you, long time friends of, uh, of the network. Always great to have all three of you on. Our show today brought to you by Udacity. This is a great story. I, I love this story. Udacity was created in 2011. It's exactly 10 years old. Sebastian Thrun, who was a Google engineer, realized that they weren't the people that were applying for jobs at Google might have had the best degrees and the best pedigrees, but they didn't have the knowledge Google needed. He said, we got to do a better job in getting people ready for jobs in big tech. He created Udacity and Udacity is famous for its nano degrees originally with Google. But now nano degrees are created for Udacity with companies like Microsoft and IBM and Amazon, as well as Google. In fact, the teachers you'll have at this incredible part-time online educational program are often team leads from these top companies because they know what needs to be done. This is a very practical education. If you love learning and you're always looking to learn more tech stuff, Udacity is for you, even if you're not looking for a job in the field. But if you are, take a look at those cutting-edge nanodegree programs. They've got programs... They've got classes you can't take anywhere else. AI, deep learning. How'd you like to be an autonomous flight engineer for flying cars? They've got a degree for that. Intro to self-driving cars, machine learning engineer. My personal choice, I'd want to be a robotics software engineer. I just love the idea. I've, I've taken Python classes there. They're fantastic. The thing I really like best about Udacity 
is the courses are project-based, hands-on learning. It's not just going and watching videos. You're actually going to be tested. You're going to be you're going to have to use what you've learned to create a project. All your homework and your project reviewed by qualified professionals. The code reviews, just like you would have if you were working at these big companies. Cutting-edge technology. You'll get real human feedback. You'll get reviews. And, of course, you're not on your own there. You have access to mentors 24-7. Udacity knows that, you know, it's important this be flexible and easy for students. You could put in as little as 5 to 10 hours a week, work at your own pace any time of the day or night, graduate in as little as three months. You also have, they have flexible payment options. They have free courses. You can learn at your own pace and on your own schedule. Udacity is very, very popular with people who love technology. 14 million people in over 240 countries use Udacity. Wow. Wow. You're getting ready for the job of the future, which is important. I might point out World Economic Forum says that 75 million current jobs will be gone in the next three years, replaced by automated processes. <laughs> maybe maybe you are in that job that's going to disappear. Maybe I am. Maybe it's time to learn some skills that will stay with you know with you during the future, the new future. And it, by the way, if you have a team, Udacity for Business is great to check out. Udacity for Enterprise, if your team needs to master cutting-edge technologies, data science, AI. You know what? I, if I had an IT team, I'd want them to know cybersecurity. There's great cybersecurity training there. You can upskill your entire workforce at Udacity for Enterprise with real-world project-based learning. Just make sure you check out the Enterprise section of Udacity's website today. Get the in-demand tech skills you need to advance your career or just have some fun learning. Go to udacity.com slash twit. Right now, we have a remarkable offer. This is limited time. Take advantage of it now. 75% off any program with the code twit75. Please use that. That way they know you saw it and you get an amazing discount. We want the credit. So twit75 at udacity, U-D-A-C-I-T-Y dot com slash twit. There's a limited time offer. So don't delay. Udacity.com slash twit. Offer code twit Seven five. Thank you, Udacity, for doing a good job getting getting people upskilled. Uh, oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> oh, let's see. I guess if we stick with Apple, I could mention the fact that Apple is now facing a little challenge in South Korea. I don't know if this has been signed yet. It will almost certainly be signed into law. It's been passed by both houses of the South Korean legislature, requiring Apple and Google. To allow third-party app payments, this is something Apple and Google have both fought vigorously in South Korea, trying to protect their 30% cut of all app payments. And I believe, I think it's fair to say this is the first domino, because everybody's looking at, at this, including the FTC and the United States DOJ and and, and Congress. Um. There, Apple says you're going to destroy this platform. You're going to destroy our security. You can't do this. Google hasn't said much. I don't think, honestly, it changes much for Google since they've always allowed sideloading. Apple also says, hey, it's fine. We'll just bill you. <laughs> so if you if you are, let's say, Fortnite, Epic's Fortnite, and you decide to use Stripe for in-app payments, Apple says, that's fine. We're still going to bill you 30%. <laughs> I don't know how that's going to work. I don't know what's going to happen in Korea. So what's that 
What's that 30 percent getting you then? I don't understand. I thought the 30 percent was for security. So if you use Stripe, Apple's Apple's still going to bill you 30 percent. Yeah, you pay 30 percent so you can sell, so you can put it on the app store. But yeah, I guess if you're... This isn't side-loading, but yeah. I guess you're, you you make a point. You know, oh, we have this... stuff drives me nuts. We have yeah. a vicious debate going on at MacBreak Weekly because mm-hmm. Alex Lindsay says, look, <laughs> you, you're getting... I've sold software. This is, the, this is a huge improvement over the old system where you'd have to print up disks and put them in a box with a manual and put it, get it on the store shelves and they'd still take 50% or more uh, to, to do it. Uh, this is a huge improvement. Apple's, Apple's hosts it. They market it for you a little bit. They they make it possible, and they only take a mere thirty percent. Hmm. It does feel if you're Netflix or Amazon selling books, or it does seem like rent seeking a little bit because, after all, Netflix doesn't need Apple's platform to get people to subscribe to Netflix. It's a good question. If Netflix used a third party, they use Stripe or some other third party or PayPal, some third party's payment system. Apple would be giving them no benefit, really, you know. Uh, and why should you? If really the main reason you want to watch Netflix is at home on your big screen TV, but you're buying it on Apple's platform, Netflix loses 30%. It actually costs us in some ways because many, many companies, if not all, if not most, will add that 30% to the cost. You'll see the differential sometimes. If you buy on a website, it's 30% less than if you buy it on an iPhone. As I remember That's years the ago. argument Epic used. Right. It's costing consumers. Not, years yeah. ago, you had to sideload Amazon apps onto, onto iPhones, if I'm not mistaken. Am I remembering that right? You never could have sideloaded, but what Amazon did, if you, you had could the Kindle, if you had the Kindle app and you wanted a book, you would have to exit oh, the you had app, to buy it somewhere else. Yeah. launch Safari, buy right. it through Safari, then that's it would be available in your app. And that thing, some, that's I, I think that's still the case for Kindle, not for it Audible. Uh, Amazon has made some deal with Apple. That's another argument, by the way. That I mean, there's the consistency thing again, right? Like what we're talking about in these these applications of the fees. I mean, we can debate about the amount of fee, which is a different argument, but it, it is this consistency. And Leo, you're exactly right. Apple did make deals with some companies. And to Larry's point, this they were pretty uh, uh, nuclear with Amazon, like no go, no go, until they quietly made some changes in Audible. Now you can't purchase things in Audible, but you can apply your credits right. in Audible. And there's mm. sneaking things coming into the Amazon app too. So so really, it's it's although we could be frustrated at the policies, I'm more frustrated at the inconsistency of the policies. I'm the same frustrated at Facebook, Twitter, and all other big tech companies. I'm sure it, I'm not the only one here. I think there's it's a the guy who has a, application. has a podcast in a newsletter about big technology might agree with you on that. Yeah. Sorry, right. Alex. Oh, okay. I'm not trying to <laughs> no, make it's your right. point Please. for you. I'm sure you're no, more eloquent. Come on onto the turf. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it really is. No, I think you're, you're making great points. And I, I live in the same side Apple, of the street, man. That's right. Apple said this is all about, um, this is all about security. So here's an idea. Why doesn't Apple give iPhone users, one option to go through Apple Pay and use the App Store payment system and give like a verified check next to it. So you can be comfortable. I think that's what they're going to do. That's exactly what they're going to do. And then make another one. Yeah. Yeah. And make another one and say, okay, if you want to take a risk and you're not going to pay as much, go ahead, go in there. I mean, this is all about, this should be at the end of the day about the customers. All these companies talk ad nauseum about the customers, but it's really about their bottom line. They talk about users. I will, I will defend, I will, I'm going to, since nobody else will, I'll defend Apple. 
I'm, I kind of agree with you guys, but I will, <laughs> I will take this role because it is yeah. an important point. Um, Apple says, look, we're doing what is easiest and best for the customer. Customers don't want these switches. They don't want this confusing. In fact, on, on Android, you can sideload. You can press a mm-hmm. button. Android warns you this is insecure. It's dangerous. In fact, they've even changed its behavior. It no longer stays the checkbox no longer stays on to buy on third-party stores. It only is for that one purchase. Uh, Apple says, we could do that, but that's confusing to people. It's not a good experience. And what we want so, is, and by the way, there's, you got, look, they're not a, almost $3 trillion company for nothing. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're, for most users, Apple is the painless way to go. But if security yes. was the only issue, you could have third-party organizations to, Companies. I don't think that, that, that they say security, that. but I don't think it's really. I think uh, what they really say is we want the best experience for customers, which includes security, yeah. but is more than just security. But is Apple saying that its customers are sophisticated and smart enough to walk into one of its stores and pay $2,000 for a laptop or a phone, but not sophisticated or smart enough to be able to make a very simple choice between Apple's secure payment system they, I, and the again, rest of the web? Channeling Tim Cook. That's why they pay $2,000 for a laptop or $1,200 for a phone. Because we are going to give them a good experience. We're going to take the stress out of their life. I have a PC, which costs a lot less than $2,000. And I have a web browser, which takes me anywhere I want to go. And it doesn't take a genius to know the difference between going to an insecure place to buy Mm -hmm. your stuff and a secure place, or at least a reputable place. And it seems to me that most iPhone users are capable of choosing whatever source they want to go to of their their apps based on, in part, uh, it being reputable. And there are plenty of companies out there that I would trust that could go in the business of of, of selling apps. You know what app I have on my Mac right now? I'm running the Epic Game Store on my Mac. Shocking. Shocking. Uh-huh. Uh, I Okay, but don't gloat because it's only a matter of time before <laughs> Apple comes for you and says... No. I know. <laughs> because they... I mean, honestly, this was my fear when Apple announced the App Store on the Mac and Gatekeeper and the, and they slowly whittled away your ability to say, no, I, I want to be able to buy third... Eventually, it's going to be, for the same reason they do it on the iPhone, look, you can only get stuff from the App Store... I mean, I think a desktop computing experience should be different. I, by the way, now use Linux almost exclusively for that very reason. Um, but there are plenty of people, most normal people, who want simple, clean. And Alex well, Lindsay is a perfect it. example. He says, I try to buy everything in the App Store because then when I have a new Mac, it automatically updates. I can I buy it once and it runs on all my Macs. It's just simple. I guess Windows has a store. You can is, buy Win- you can buy apps yeah. from Microsoft. Oh come if you on! Want. The Windows Store is not comparable to the App Store on the Mac. No, I'm saying it's an I, option. I think we would all buy Tim Cook's argument here if it was just you paid that two thousand dollar premium and you got the App Store and it was clean. But the complicating factor here is the fact that the Apple does make that thirty percent on each one of those purchases when you pay through them. And Tim Cook has outlined the fact that Apple's new strategy is not necessarily device sale, but it's software and services, among which the App Store fees are a tremendous part of that. So, you know, I I think that it sort of comes down to are we buying the company's marketing messaging or are we looking at the financial statements? Are we looking what they tell analysts on the earnings calls and giving that more weight, I think, which we should do. Let let me be clear. And they made all corporations. 
Yeah, exactly. If they're so, doing their job or right. doing this, right? Totally. No Maximizing like, profits for the stakeholders and using mm-hmm. marketing to make you feel good about it. That's what the job and of a corporation is. I, Apple does it in a way that I personally feel a little better about. I prefer their products. I prefer the same experience Larry does and others do. Um, but it's the consistency of that applied experience. Yeah. And my agency in that yeah. experience. I think it takes away my agency in a lot of ways that, that they don't really tell us or disclose. Steve Jobs was famous for that. He said His opinion was, we will pick the right way and you will do it that way. Back down to the original Macintosh, which mm-hmm. had obscure screws so nobody could open it. Those Torx screws for a long time foiled people who wanted to get into their Macintosh. It didn't last forever, but that was intentional on Steve's part. They said we could put normal screws on there. And he said, no, 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 no. I don't want anybody opening this beautiful work of art. And the reason why this is moving from like simple, you know, consumer choice to antitrust territory is because um, the system has worked well. I don't think anyone's going to argue about that, but does it ice out you know, potential new businesses and small businesses and end up consolidating all the value that they're creating within one company that's using this approach as, you know, something of a monopoly. I think you nailed that, I think that, that's Alex. where Apple's getting into trouble. And, and this is something consumers don't, it's not on their awareness. Uh, Correct. Uh, they don't think about, well, why is zero rating bad for me? They think, well, I'm getting mm-hmm. Netflix free on my T-Mobile. That's good. <laughs> Uh, They don't think about the fact that it stops anybody else from doing the next Netflix, a better one. Uh, And so the elimination of competition uh, ultimately hurts us, but it may not be apparent. And that's why it's kind of our job to be the the sand and the oyster uh, (laughs) and bug the hell out of you and say, no, 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 you don't want this. It seems like a good thing that, uh, you know, seems like the nice, warm, balmy bath of living in the Apple world is comfortable and cozy, but you have to understand there's a price to be paid for that. Well, Steve Jobs himself is the king of, uh, you know, being uh, the first people that push forward this idea that the customer won't tell you what they want. Yeah. You know, it's, you have to give it to them. Yeah. And uh, sometimes that's wrong. from a company. It worked. No, of course it worked very well. Um, but yeah, just the, you know, asking people to raise their hand to like come up with the problem, the problem, the fact that they're paying a premium on these app stores uh, you know, we're not going to get we're not going to get far uh, waiting for that. It's interesting as a, as a user, as a as, uh, um, as what I would call mm-hmm. a sophisticated user of, of technology. Increasingly, I am choosing a path where I get to choose, even if it's more work. It's more. That's one of the reasons I use Linux, because it's because I want the agency. I don't like it that Apple, Apple takes away my agency. Yes, it's easy, but I want the agency. And I think in the long run, that's better. For me. Look it at might this. be that some of these things are. Con- oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Are, are controversial because not you are a sophisticated technology consumer, but it might be that we're all more sophisticated than we were a decade ago, and we're yeah. all asking questions, or more people are asking questions, and and maybe they're asking more and they want more out of big tech than big tech has provided for us in the last decade or so. Don't you think? And though- it might be that. It, it's oh, un- it's unpopular for Congress to challenge big tech, don't you think? Maybe not. You well, look at how Congress challenges anymore. big tech. They don't. <laughs> they make a lot of noise about it. 
Uh, but they but they don't effectively challenge it. You're saying, and that's because big tech lobbies like hell and spends hundreds of, especially the telecommunications businesses spend hundreds of millions of dollars. But by the way, to illustrate uh, Alex's comment about uh, Steve Jobs, he he used to quote Henry Ford saying that if I had asked people what they want in transportation, they would have said they want a faster horse. Right. And part of Apple's responsibility, all tech responsibility, was to lead by showing us a better way. That's I don't think there's any anything wrong at all with that. Is it their responsibility or is their responsibility merely to increase profits for stakeholders? Well, I'm talking about their responsibility to to the customer or or certainly what what, what got Apple where they are was showing us a better way. I mean, if you had asked me what I wanted in 2006, I would have wanted the better BlackBerry because that's all I was thinking about. (laughs) You didn't know any better. Yeah. Apple came up with something that was, you know, miles ahead of that BlackBerry. There's got to be some middle ground where we can have innovation without crushing competition. I, I think we're getting there. Like what we saw with Apple making this move is uh, one step towards that future. Yeah. And slowly but surely, they're going to be forced, whether it's through court or through public pressure, uh, to step back a little bit from their draconian rules in the App Store. And it's going to be better for everyone. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, we're going to live in a world where it never rains and it's filled with rainbows and uh, innovation. I, I live in California where it never rains, so that's not such a great uh, world. But uh, well, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, <laughs> a nicer so, world. Just to show, the just to prove, anyway, we are an yeah. equal opportunity <laughs> offender. I just want to point out, Microsoft had a little problem with Windows 11 this week. Yeah, you know, sure. the next version of Windows 11 comes out. Uh, now we know October 5th, so they're beta testing it actively with insiders. And the insider preview build that came out this week had a little flaw. Uh, recently, Microsoft writes, Windows Insiders in both the dev and beta channels began reporting that the start and taskbar were unresponsive and settings in other areas of the OS wouldn't load. We quickly discovered an issue. <laughs> with a, This is why you do bug testing, I got to say, with a server-side deployment. Apparently, they turned on an advertisement for Microsoft Teams... And because the server that was serving the ad, it has to go out on the internet to get it, was unresponsive, the whole system was freezing. (laughs) But good news, good news, if you're an insider, there's a fix. Hit Control-Alt-Delete, choose to open the Task Manager, go to More Details to Expand Task Manager, go to File, choose Run New Task, type CMD in the Open field, then paste the following into... The registry, reg, delete, HKC, use software, Microsoft Windows, current version, iris service, slash F, ampersand, ampersand, shutdown, dash R, dash T, dot zero, bingo, Bob's your uncle, everything should be back to normal. So simple. (laughs) (laughs) What I love, first of all, it's a beta. This is what happens. If you're doing a beta, you know, this is what happens. But I love it that Microsoft, this got bit by trying to inject an ad into Windows. And to me, that's the fundamental problem, is now I have an operating system that is advertising to me. For Teams. Is that why we have 11? Uh, No. Okay, cynical again. This time I'm channeling Tim Cook again. Uh, The reason Microsoft is doing Windows 11 is because PC sales have started to tail off. And traditionally in the Windows world, people get a new copy of Windows when they buy a new PC. So really what Microsoft's doing is supporting the PC industry by creating a whole bunch of new PCs this fall that run Windows 11, hoping consumers will say, oh, I got to have the new version. In fact, it's one of the reasons they've made it hard to upgrade to Windows 11. I would say a lot of machines won't, you can't even run Windows 11. Two-year-old machines. Yeah, yeah, the one I'm using right now is 
three years old and it can't yeah. run Windows 11. Yeah. So you know, I, if I, I uh, want it that badly, I'm, you know, I'm. They say, again, by the way, security, like consider the children and terrorists, is becoming the new mantra for why we want to make more money, how we make more money. They say for security reasons, we're not going to let you use a machine without TPU or uh, Intel 8th generation or earlier than 8th generation Intel processor. It's not clear that that makes it more secure in any way. Leo, I take back all the bad things I said about that. <laughs> I just wanted to Thank show. Thank you, Tim Cook. We, I'm we paying skew, that 30%. We, we skewer everybody. <laughs> it's all the same. Actually, I want to talk about Lowcast when we come back. I'm going to take a little break right now. Uh, it is said that uh, if, if uh, you're paying for something, you're the customer. But if you're getting it for free, you're the oh, yeah. product. Um, in, in the case of uh, television channels, uh, you're both the customer and the product. Good news. Uh, <laughs> kind of the worst of both worlds. We'll talk about that in just a little bit with our great panel. Uh, you said when you are uh, when you are protecting yourself in a country uh, where it is not safe to be a dissident, you never touch the Internet without a VPN. I agree with you, Dan. If you want to preserve your privacy in the U.S., you might also want to use a VPN. Uh, and if you're going to use a VPN, you want to consider which VPN very carefully because all of the privacy and security issues are just passed down to that VPN server. That's why I use ExpressVPN and recommend it. ExpressVPN protects your privacy. They they actually go the extra mile with this trusted server technology they invented and have deployed on all their servers. When you open – and by the way, it's really nice. ExpressVPN, they have an app for every platform, including smart TVs. When you press the button, it chooses the server closest to you. And at that point, what happens is, cool, it spins up in RAM only a copy of the trusted server. That's what you're using on their servers. It's in RAM. It's sandboxed, so it cannot write to the hard drive. It only operates in RAM. And as soon as you close that server, it's gone, as is every trace of your visit. You are completely private. So privacy, security, absolutely Every time you connect to an unencrypted network, whether it's at a Starbucks or a hotel or an airport, every person on the network can see you. And if it's a bad guy, they can run tools that will allow them to do all sorts of stuff to mess with you. It doesn't take much expertise. <laughs> Honestly, a, a script kitty can do it. That's why you want to protect yourself online for your privacy and for your security. And oh, by the way, when, I, when it chooses the server, you can say, I want to be in England instead of uh, in the U.S. I don't want the closest server. I want a server in Tokyo. And you can uh, use it to watch content that you can't get in the U.S. So there are lots of good reasons. ExpressVPN. It's kind of like you wouldn't drive without car insurance. Would you use the Internet without the insurance of an encrypted tunnel between your device and the outside world? No. ExpressVPN. Strong encryption. Fire up the app. One button click. Yes, it works everywhere, including smart TVs. I think they're the probably most invasive technology ever. In fact, you can now, and this is what we did, we could put ExpressVPN on your router. So everybody in the house is protected. And ExpressVPN, it, again, this is why you want to choose a good VPN provider. They invest in infrastructure so that they're fast. So that you can do that. You can you can make all your traffic going onto the internet through, go through the VPN and still watch HD video. Still, Nobody will say, oh, what happened? It's all slow because ExpressVPN invests in their infrastructure. I recommend and use ExpressVPN. I think you should too. Secure your online data today with the only VPN I trust. ExpressVPN.com slash twit. 
Three extra months free when you go there right now. ExpressVPN.com slash twit. Get the one-year package. You'll get 15 months for the price of 12. E-X-P-R-E-S-S. Spell it out. Another reason I like them. They don't... <laughs> they leave the vowels in. ExpressVPN.com slash twit. We thank them so much for their support. We thank you for supporting us by, as I always say, using that URL so they know that you saw it here. Locast has given up. And uh, there are a lot... Of, do you guys know about Locast? Yeah. yeah you've heard of it? Yeah. 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 Locast was actually kind of like Aereo. Remember Aereo? That was the New York City yep. startup that put <laughs> dime-sized antennas in a giant arrays and then let you, in effect, use that antenna to get local live television stations. I was a paying subscriber. Were you? Well, yeah, of course. absolutely. It was innovative. The first the thing that happened was the networks and broadcast stations sued. Uh, to their credit, Aereo fought it all the way up to the Supreme Court where they lost. Uh, I actually don't remember what the SCOTUS, why SCOTUS said Aereo was uh, illegal. Um, Maybe because they were charging? Well, no, and that's it what happened with profit. that's what happened with uh, yeah. Locast. Locast, yeah, well, wasn't sure. Let me see. The Supreme Court broadcasters sued Area within weeks of its introduction, arguing that streaming their content without permission was copyright infringement. That was that was how they do it. The Supreme Court heard arguments in April and ruled against Area June 2015, 2014, I think. Yeah, uh, it's. Uh, you know, I I can go on and on. I, I don't want to read all this because it's not germane. What happened was Locast said, okay, how can we do this without falling prey to the same lawsuits? And they said, we're going to be a nonprofit. So the copyright rule says as long as you don't make money on it, it's okay, right? I guess. Uh, no, no, it doesn't. You, you, copyright doesn't require. <laughs> there's some. There's some nonprofit. Ask any YouTube, YouTuber who uses. Uh, yeah, I guess not. You're right. They're still protected, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Well, somehow they felt like if we don't make any money, we're protected. A judge ruled this week uh, that well, that's not the problem. The problem is you are a nonprofit, but you take the proceeds. So the way Locast worked, it's free. Locast.org. It would only work in the same ADI area of dominant influence that of the stations you want to watch. So I'm in the Bay Area. I get San Francisco stations. Nobody from Chicago could see those, but people in Chicago would see the Chicago stations. And what Area was doing was take, and then they put a little announcement saying, Aereo is nonprofit, but support us for five bucks and we won't bother you with these ads asking you to support us. And they did it quite frequently, every few minutes. Uh, and, mo and I know a lot of people, a lot of cord cutters who said, this is great, five bucks a month, 60 bucks a year. I get the live locals. It lets me cord cut because I don't need the cable anymore. I could just get internet and watch Netflix, Amazon Prime, but I get my live locals so I can watch football, the Academy Awards, that kind of stuff. Local news. Local news. Uh, that's a big thing. That's the gap with cord cutting is that live local stuff. If you're not close enough, if you don't have an antenna or you're not close enough to get via an antenna, the TV stations. And here's what I don't understand, Luke. Anybody can sell an antenna, right? You can go out and buy an antenna. They're perfectly legal. How is Locus really any different than an antenna if it essentially gives you the same content that the antenna would? Well, that's the argument a lot of cord cutters use. Like, but here's, 
Here's why Aereo got shut down and why Lowcast got shut down as well. So, the again, they got sued by the broadcast stations. Uh, and the judge ruled, look, because, okay, it's good. You're nonprofit. Good start. Except you're taking the proceeds and using it to expand in new markets. That's not allowed. Lowcast could, of course, appeal. And they could even do what Aereo did and go all the way to the Supreme Court and said. They said, oh, screw it. And they have stopped operating. Yeah. So they were they were really I think they they were designed to get around this thing, but it, uh, the judge said no. So here's here's the argument I think, and this goes back to: Are you a customer or are you a product? If you're listening to Twit, for instance, right now, you could be one of the. You could either be both. If you're listening and you're hearing the ads, then in effect you're the product. We sell. We make money by selling your ears to the advertisers. That's how we survive. And that's how broadcast television, broadcast radio survive. If you decide you want to join Club Twit, pay seven bucks a month, we say, fine, now you can be the customer. You pay us, we don't need to put ads in. So we give you the choice. Broadcast television discovered that they could do both. And that's what happened. When uh, this goes back to the cable companies and retransmission agreements and the must-carry rules. Initially... Uh, cable companies were created so that you could watch the locals, right? I live in Petaluma. I'm too far from San Francisco to use an antenna. Comcast comes along, put up a big antenna. They can get the channels, digs a ditch to my house, puts copper in my house and says, here, now you can watch from our antenna, pay us. The broadcast station said, whoa, wait a minute. FCC jumps in and says, all right, you've got a choice, broadcasters. You can either require that they carry you and then you can't charge them. Or, and most broadcasters chose the second choice, you can say, we want retransmission fees. Comcast, you can broadcast Channel 4, but you've got to give us a fee, buck or less, usually per, per subscriber, That those fees vary. Um, and so most stations now are double dipping. They get the ad revenue. In fact, they love it because I'm seeing the ads here in Petaluma, too. But they also get the revenue from the cable companies. You're both a product and the customer. The problem with Aereo and the problem, in my opinion, with Lowcast is you're cutting off <laughs> you're cutting off all these lucrative cable fees. People no longer need to watch on cable. And I think that was why they ultimately sued. Yeah. But you are increasing your audience, which means you could theoretically be getting more advertising revenue. Well, guess, guess, I'm like, I'm going to guess you should ask your, you should ask CBS, <laughs> but I'm going to guess that they want both. Uh, well, we have CBSN on CBS news. You stream. And we don't. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't charge for that. It's a free product. So it avoids exactly that. And we are moving into local markets. Sorry, I'm not trying to log roll for CBS or. No, 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 no. No, no, you have expertise um, in this we, area. That's perfect. We, well, we have CBSN, which is 24 hours a day streaming news. It's hard news. There's no opinions. And we are launching these in different markets like Denver, um, you know, New York, San Francisco. And exactly to your point, Leo, this is not a for-pay product. This is a local news product, but it is the traditional model where the, the viewer is the product being sold to advertisers, which I think most of us are familiar with in 
fairly comfortable with. And I, I, I don't, I don't work on the business side. I can't speak for our strategic plans, but I know when this was rolled out, it was, this was considered a benefit that we're not charging our customers and we're not double dipping here or we're not charging the viewers. Lowcast has, by the way, appealed to the Second Circuit Court of Appeals. So they're, they're not suspending forever, but they are suspended uh, right now. I did just uh, buy a TV for the first time in, in my life. And uh, I did get one of those bunny ear antennas. I'm like in the heart of New York, so I had no problem with it. And I installed it in particular so I could watch CBS. Thanks, guys. Um, watch it on Sundays. Watch football for free. So... Um, I think that like it's kind of interesting that I am able to do that just because I'm in service area. But if you're outside of service area, like, you know, Leo might be and you can't use low cast, you know, because you might be costing these these companies some money. It seems it seems unfair. I wonder if it wasn't for precedent for the fact that the antennas have been around for decades, if they would try to outlaw what you're doing, you know, given the current situation. I mean, I, that's my point. I, I frankly still don't see the difference between your rabbit ears and and a, and a locust uh, subscription in terms of what it. I agree a hundred percent. I agree a hundred percent, and I think uh, you know the folks at Locast argue it's just greed on the part of the networks, uh, the broadcast stations. Um, they say they get a free license from the U.S. government to right. to use those airwaves, but the retransmission consent fees which are on the order of at least $12 a month, according to the New York Times, uh, amount to billions of dollars for broadcasters. Uh, the founder and CEO, David Goodfriend of uh, Locast, says Locast was always meant to be a public service for people who want to watch their local broadcast TV stations, can't get them over the air, can't afford expensive cable, satellite, or streaming services. Locast showed that millions of Americans fit that category. They deserve something better than the status Quo, Locast uh, says 3.2 million people signed up for the service. I not know how many paid for it, but they did uh, generate $4.3 million in revenue last year. Um, that's not nothing. Not Well, and that's still all legal, by the way. Nonprofits generate revenue all the time. Mm -hmm. The judge, Louis L. Stanton of the Southern District of New York, said that the issue is Locast was using the proceeds to expand its service to other cities a move that, in his view, ran afoul of the law. The copyright code, this is weird, but the copyright code allows nonprofits to solicit funds to defray the actual and reasonable costs of maintaining and operating the service. But the judge felt that expanding violated that. Um, the networks called the ruling a victory for copyright law. <laughs> Vindicating our claim that Locast is illegally infringing copyrights in broadcast television content in violation of federal law. It's a very narrow, it does not vindicate copyright law. It's a very narrow slice there. Mm -hmm. um, and I think they would like to put Locast out of business. I think there are a lot of Locast users who are pretty unhappy. And there is no reasonable alternative. For a while, you could watch locals on Sling for five bucks a month. And I was telling people to use that, but it turns out Sling was using Locast. So, <laughs> oh. never mind. <laughs> uh, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, who's right in this one? I'll, I'll well, let you recuse to... yourself, network guys, if you want to. <laughs> I don't know, I, 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 I'm no longer a CBS News employee, so I can <laughs> okay. say what's on my mind here. I, I contribute, but not employ. Uh, look, I'm, I'm on Locast's side. I, I really just think, why make it 
the the victim here is the consumer. Agreed. If if Comcast a victim, maybe, but Comcast is a victim. I mean, the handwriting is on the wall, and of course, Comcast and their ilk are making a fortune in internet charges. My, I, I have the full Comcast double play, right? I've got TV and I've got internet. It turns out that the internet is the vast majority of what my monthly payments are. So even if I stop paying that little cable bump that, that that they get, they would still be getting, you know, over a hundred dollars a month for me for my high speed internet. Ugh. So I just think that the, you know enough is enough, and to, and to make it harder for people to get stuff that they could get if they had a big enough antenna. Leo, I'm sure there's probably some technology. Oh, if I had a hundred foot mast, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, could, I could probably get the locals. Although if I, you know, if I go to TV Fool, it says no, you're not going to get anything but Channel 50, which is you're, up in Santa Rosa. Well, but the point is, that, you know, why should you not get broadcast TV just because you happen to be right. a few miles away? But that's from what created the, the cable business. Yeah. That's really wow. what started cable, right? Too bad they can make their money on the internet, and they make plenty of it on the internet. They figure. And by the way, out. Comcast is a Connect Safely supporter, so maybe I'm in trouble in that regard. No, they're not. We didn't hear that. What? No. Uh, Dan, do you want to say anything? Do you? <laughs> I mean, I understand I mean, broadcasters I want to keep making that that those sweet yeah, cable sure. dollars. I don't blame them. And there's definitely nobody at, at my work telling me what to no, say. No, I know. I'm say, just teasing, but, obviously. Um, I, I mean, oh, for sure. I know. But uh, but some people might not know that. And, yes. Um, right. But I, I mean, look, when I was an, uh, an Aereo or an Aero subscriber, I kind of, I, I felt like at least... What was sold to me was that this is a physical array. This is an actual transmitter and you are renting time on it or you're paying for that physical time. And I look, I lived in Brooklyn. I live in Brooklyn. I, I've lived in New York for a long time. And sometimes you just cannot get a transmission signal in the middle of building. So it felt like, okay, I'm not ripping anyone off. And at the time I worked for a different news network. It did not feel as though... Uh, and, and I think I I think the same about Lowcast, but I I don't I don't know the fundamentals of their business model. Here I found Although, it. I found it. This is in U.S. Code Section One 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 of the Copyright Code. It specifically talks about retransmission of broadcasts. Secondary retransmissions are exempt from copyright if it's not made by a cable system. It consists entirely of the relaying, oh, this is why they did it, by the management of a hotel apartment house. That's why they did it, so that you could have an antenna uh, for a hotel and all watch that. Or similar establishment of signals transmitted by a broadcast station licensed by the FCC within the local service area of such station. And as long as you don't make money at it. So this is an exemption that was carved out, I think, probably not for companies like Lowcast and Aereo, but but for others. As, as It's not actionable if the primary transmission is made by this carriage's signal. So the key is you can't make money at it. But the hotel is making money. Yeah. Off, off, you no. know, off the room rent. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, I'm not a lawyer, so I'm going to have to defer to a lawyer on this one. Clearly, Lowcast was trying to use this section of the law to justify it. And uh, this, I this judge, I think, is mistaken. I think they might win on appeal. You know? How much damage does it actually do to the networks if something like Lowcast is widely available? Because it will require people, it, you know, you're not going to really get a lot of people signing up to Lowcast if they can use the antenna. 
Right. Um, like someone were in a location like me, you're also not going to get a lot of people signing up to Locast if they have a cable subscription, someone like Leo. So what is the total addressable market for a service well, like this? I have and- to think that it's the cable companies that really wanted the broadcast companies to sue. They don't have standing, so they mm. had it. I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, you know... They're nudging them. Brian Rogers called up and said, you know, Ryan Roberts called up and said, could you sue these guys? Because <laughs> yeah. Leo... The only thing stopping Leo from getting rid of my cable subscription is I want those locals and I can't get them any other mm. way. If I have Locast mm-hmm. and I add Locast maybe to Netflix and Amazon Prime, all I need is an internet connection. I don't need the cable TV, yeah. right? So that's who's really at risk from this. And remember that it does the money does go downhill because the broadcasters get that money from the, the ones flying the ointment mm-hmm. though from from the standpoint of the networks. What if what if we were to go and buy the uh, Express VPN product you were talking about earlier and tunnel ourselves into a market that we don't actually live in? The way I get to watch BBC, by the way, uh, against all British law uh, by using a VPN. You are a freeloader. <laughs> no, but I'm saying could could one get a if Lowcast still existed and I wanted to watch New York television. Could I use a VPN to tunnel into New York? Well, just to get around like it? the BBC and iPlayer, they attempt to discover if you're using a VPN and block yeah. you. The yeah, the issue is that uh, many VPNs, uh, you know, are doing things to get around that, like changing IP addresses regularly using, you know, clean pool and stuff like that. So I think it's not easy to know if you're coming in on a VPN, but they try. And I bet you... If Locast did a good faith effort, which I think they do, to block VPN traffic, that would be considered sufficient. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't block everyone, but uh, in theory, you're only watching if you're in local. So it's uh, this is an example of uh, you know I'm I'm on the side of users and enthusiasts, <laughs> so I'm saying damn you, but at the same time, I kind of understand. That this is really a game that Locast is playing. That they looked at Aereo and said, how can we get around that? And they're making money on it. I'm sure they're making money on it. I mean, they're a nonprofit, but, you know, they pay their staff. Actually, on Reddit, there was up outrage because Goodfriend makes $180,000 a year. <laughs> to which people said, are you kidding? Do you know how much the head of... The Red Cross makes this is nothing. This guy's not right. Maybe a million dollars. <laughs> it's not raking yeah. it in. That's actually quite reasonable for the head of a nonprofit. Uh, well, I don't know. I you know. So on the one hand, I know all of our uh, listeners. Uh, a lot of them use Locast. I've recommended Locast over the years. I, it does seem like it's just. I don't know. Though, really, what's happening is we're in a transitional period where mm-hmm. broadcast is going to be replaced by streaming. Right, ultimately, mm-hmm. isn't it? That's why we have CBSN. Yeah, CBS yeah. isn't isn't dumb. They know that's it's the future, yeah. and they maybe it's a, a loss leader right now. But ultimately, they need to understand this business. And it's why the cable companies have internet access. You know, I don't know if there's any major cable company that just isn't the internet provider in their market or one of the internet providers in their market. So, you know, it, it is a transition. You're absolutely right, and and I don't think any of these companies are going to go out of business. I mean, CBS makes money or should make money because they've got great content. I mean, that's the reason. Do, why are there ads on CBS, the on the CBS streaming, yeah. CBSN? Yeah. There's it's, ads. It's exactly like you. It's indistinguishable from watching a television news product. Um, it, uh, yeah, we have ads. Except you can't fast uh, forward. You can't fast forward in your, v, in your DVR. That's the only down. That's true. You, well, it's live. Right, right. And I'm sure that factored into the You can't fast. Yeah, right. That's it's, called, it's that's called nature. Right. 
You can't you I watch literally live news. Time, you can't it. go to the end of this show until we do it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you can record broadcast news and watch it later. I can watch. Oh, I'm sure there's a way to record CBSN for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you don't need to. I mean, we put all of our segments online and you can watch and you can just rewind. I mean, you can scrub backwards. The same thing you do with any live product. There's a player you can just so rewind, if, especially if you want to hear a point that was made a couple times. And it's not just on your browser. You know, we're on your Roku and I mean, all the, the OTT boxes. Do they um, prevent you from uh, jumping through commercials? Do they do anything yeah. about like that? Do you know? It's live. So you can't. No, but if you have a if you're watching the the recorded stuff. Oh, um, you know, I've never tried. I, I mean, if I'm watching a segment, it's uh, on on the website or on YouTube. It's YouTube ads, and if I'm on the website, like right. I, I can't skip the ads. You know, I have and I have ad blockers running like crazy on some browsers, and I, I can't skip the ads. Yeah, which but, is fair. You know, it's you know my what? salary. That's so fair. No, that's completely yeah. fair. Right. Um, right. It does feel fair. And yeah. that's I mean, that's what like it really does. Again, I'm really sorry. I'm not trying to log roll for CBS, no, no, no. but it really does feel like a fair proposition. Here's like, the challenge. We give you news. We put ads in it and that's it. You can watch or not watch. Right. Here's the challenge. Nothing, nothing shady. Here's the challenge. And this is the same challenge radio stations face. There's several. First of all, broadcasting as a different business model. When you're broadcasting, a million people could watch. It doesn't cost you any more than one person watching. When you're yes. streaming... It's more. It's completely the opposite. It flips it. Right. Every single p- person who watches costs you not a lot, but costs you some money. Those costs right. are going down. The other problem is now you have to sell advertisers. So when I'm a local station, I'm selling ads for the local businesses. Does CBS can only sell national ads, or are they doing some sort of IP address geolocation stuff? Do they have different ads? Do you know? Well, I, I'm again, I'm not on the business side, but I do know that I, our ads on CBSN are national. I'm They're sure national. there's geolocation stuff, but we are rolling out to local markets. And I know that the editorial priority was that we believe in local news. Right. And uh, the so reason in those to cases, be in local markets is local, local news. State, you're you're going to get local ads. ads. Yeah. You'll probably yeah. get national ads too, but I'm sure you'll get, if you're in Denver, you'll get a local ad. So and ads you'll get work. local anchors that you know. Ads work. The only thing that, that gripes me at all is when you charge for something and you run ads. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and I know. I mean, exactly. That's everybody. I mean, that's well, what cable. I mean, CNN I does. Like, yeah, hey, CNN cable, runs, cable ads, runs ads. And I'm paying a yeah. lot of money to Oh, watch you know, CNN. we have Paramount Plus, so I can't say we're not doing this. But I don't think those are those products were developed separately. So right. I can't say we're not doing that. But, yeah. um, well, everybody does it. And, it, you know, I have to pay for a higher tier of Peacock and, and Hulu, right, Hulu. So I don't get ads. Um, but you know, so I like how we are doing it at Twit. You either get ads or you pay us seven bucks a month, and you don't get ads. Choice. There's right. you don't pay seven bucks a month and get ads. That's double dipping. But everybody right. double dips now, so I guess I can't complain. But I, I but it bugs do, me. Give you isn't Peacock free plus ads option? I, I yes. So there's a free ad supported like, version. Yeah. There's a right. little bit pay a little bit more. You still get ads, mm-hmm. but you get Even more, more content. And then there's the Peacock Premium, which I ended up buying because I don't want ads and I want all the content. And that's probably their point is we give them it's freemium. You know, we give it away, but you're going to end up wanting to pay for it. Mm-hmm. Same thing for Paramount Plus. Same thing for. I kind of like that model actually. For the we freemium give the user choice. Yeah, yeah give them a choice. Choice. The reason I like ad supported free is it's democratic. There's anybody who's got internet can watch us. 
I think that's the right way to be. I think you want to be everywhere you can be, and I don't think you want to have people to have to pay. But I understand some people don't want to be tracked. All ads in some way are going to end up tracking you because uh, advertisers demand it now, and people don't want to see ads. So fine, seven bucks a month. That def- that doesn't exactly. I I don't know what the exact replacement would be. I don't know how much we make per advertising listener. Uh, it's probably more than seven bucks a month, but but it's enough so that we can say okay, no ads. I guess the ideal way would be for us to figure out how much per subs- per listener we get, and then make that be the fee to get rid of the ads. But I don't think we're that sophisticated. Hulu apparently thinks it's eleven bucks a month, <laughs> <laughs> but they got more stuff. <laughs> <laughs> they have Below Deck. Wouldn't you rather watch Below Deck than listen to Twit? I think so. How's uh, uh, Club Twit going, Leo? Uh, pretty good. Uh, uh, yeah. You know, I, we didn't know what the expectations would be. Um, you know, Lisa, our my wife, our CEO, and our the only person who understands business in this uh, <laughs> in this company um, was hoping that we could get a ten percent uh, subscribe rate, which would be phenomenal. Uh, that'd be that would absolutely be enough to to just eliminate advertising. I was a little less sanguine because we'd already tried this at the very beginning of Twit. You know, in the PBS world, with constant pledge drives and everything, I think they get five or six percent. Hmm. So I was hoping that we would maybe get ten percent of our audience. Yeah, uh, with PBS, you you have the cho- it, it, other than making you feel good. It, it doesn't give you any doesn't, benefit to pay. It doesn't give you any benefit. So we're yeah. giving you a benefit. And it's, by the way, it's not just ad-free. There's a, I think our Discord is fun and we get the Twit Plus feed and all that. But I think it's, I don't think we have more than about 3,500 subscribers, which is uh, 2% of the audience. Oh, let me backtrack what I just said, because I just subscribed to KQED, which is the PBS station in San Francisco, and I do get the PBS app on my Roku. So Actually, I, I think I you get can get that for free, yeah. can't you? I, I don't know. I, I think some PBS content you have to pay for. Okay. So that's another m- mess because the government funds it. They or have corporate funders. Contributes. They don't fund it 100%. Yeah. They have corporate funders. Yeah, no, I, I that's one of those where, you, yeah, you, I give them money to feel good. And I want a tote bag, right? Who doesn't, <laughs> who doesn't want a tote bag? <laughs> no, I just, I feel like I want to, I want to support uh, a company that's doing good things for the community. That's a good, you know, it's a charitable donation, in effect. And in fact, it is. It literally is. Yeah, well, actually, it's not, I don't know if you could write it off or not, but I think you can. I think you can. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because are, they're not giving you anything of value because right. you, you would get the value anyway. We right? are not a nonprofit. You cannot write off your $7. <laughs> well, maybe for business usage. I don't know. I, I would love to see it be more than 2%. That seems a little low. One in, one in 50 listeners to our shows are willing to give us money. But honestly... We've been giving it away for 15, 16 years. So I can, it's also hard to start charging for something you've been giving away for 15 years. You know what your problem is, Leo? Your advertisers, your, your ads are too interesting. A number of people. You're not annoying people. A enough. number of people told me, I pay. In fact, somebody just said this in chat. I pay, but I still listen to the ads. Take, the, you know, take some my pillow ads and you'll, you'll turn people on. <laughs> yeah, we got we to make our ads more obnoxious. I think you're right. That's how we get, that's how we get the subscribers up. I hadn't thought of that. How can we make our ads worse? Yeah, really. Uh, No, I'm. I'm, I. Yeah, I don't know. I. I kind of, as I get older, have less of a dog in this hunt. I. I can now start to sit back and say, I wonder how this is all going to play out. It's very Hmm. clear 
that everything's going to come in on the internet eventually, right? Right? Yeah. I don't know. Yes. No, the metaverse, of course. The metaverse. Yeah, the metaverse. metaverse. I mean, I work in radio. I, you know, I get a, a significant portion of my income comes from a weekly radio show, the Tech Guy show. Uh, but I don't think that's a long-term proposition. I don't know. What do you think? You're, you do, Larry. Larry, you do radio. Do you, I, think- you know, we had this conversation. I remember when I was at in, around, I don't know, 2012, and I was the CBS people were feeling fat and happy because they were, you know, they had no threat because they owned these transmitters, right? Uh, the, and, and I said to them, I said, you know, what's going to happen is that eventually you're going to be able to listen to, to streaming radio in the car on the iPhone or the Android. And of course that came about, I can't remember exactly what year they came about, but it's take, but we are still at the point. If you want to listen to local traffic, if you're driving, you know, through Silicon Valley, you're probably going to turn KCBS on, on your FM radio, but you don't have to, there are alternatives. And, and that's where I think broadcast is eventually going to have to change their business model. Is it traffic? Yeah, but it, but is that the only thing keeping well, there's traffic and weather and <laughs> listening to me? Maybe I don't weather, know. I, like I think, think you can get weather. I don't think you. I think weather is the first thing that should go. I have weather on the front page of my phone. Well, first of all, I Not got traffic that, you're on in my, the car. Yeah, you're on. Who Google cares what the weather? You don't need the traffic report. You have the. Oh, that's true. I got Waze. I got Google Maps. That's a good point. That's much. Waze is ten times better than some guy in the sky doing a bit of traffic over there where I'm not even going. Right. I, but, my but career it, started in radio, and I remember my boss. I think this is still true, and it's the problem that you're describing that radio still solves. And he was my boss told me um, that look, we have a our our value proposition is one button. You turn your car on, and we are playing yeah. right. And when you're driving, although we have all of this technology, which will provide us with news and music and weather and all this information, even with my phone, I mean that's a ridiculous proposition. To use my phone while I'm driving. What I can do with the radio is punch a button and change the transmitter now, Except or change the Tesla. station. But see, that's the thing: is right. that has even changed? I yeah, even said I said that in the early days of podcasting. Until we're as easy as punching a button on a radio, we'll never be as big as radio. But that has all changed. With CarPlay and Android Audio, or or on your Tesla Android Audio, True. It's, yeah. easier. it's easier. I get in the car, and whatever I was listening to starts again. And if I wanted to get a traffic Fair. report yeah. for some reason, I could fire. I, I up assume the, I assume your Mustang has uh, what the Tesla has, right? Which is the able to, the ability to verbally ask for any audio source you want. You yeah, that, it, it's actually yeah. better because Tesla insists on Elon insists on using its own software and. Right. Most cars these days, including my Mustang Mach-E, use Android Auto or CarPlay. Right. That's better than anything because I've got right. Siri or Google's voice. I've got my all my apps. And plus, my phone is updated you know, daily. In real time. Compared yeah. to a car, which is updated maybe once a year at best. Well, except for a Tesla, which is updated all monthly. the time. <laughs> yeah. But that's true. when's the but last you time? You are not the sample of all drivers, though. No, right? but or that's all cars get, on the road. That's, I love what you're saying, but I think you that's are the talking future. about the future that exists for you. 20 years right, from now. Exactly. Yeah. It's the I present for you. It is the future for a lot more people. I wonder how many right. people have. Every modern automobile now has a, has a car player into it, audio, I think. Except for the Tesla. Yeah. Or something. Sure. But what's the average length of time that a car spends the lifetime of a car? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wonder. I'm not trying to be argumentative. I'm just saying saying, a lot of people just 
get in the car and the radio is the radio. Well, no, that's right. But the, if Biden the wave, gets- it, you, you have to plan for the future. You can't say, oh, I'm fat and happy now, as as uh, as many radio executives do. Uh, right. What's what's it going to be like in five years or ten years? Is it going? Are you going to still have a business? I don't know. I think no, we're missing the key no, here, though. Sure I think that the station manager got something wrong. Power to him. But it's not about convenience to listen to local radio. It's the fact that local radio brings you together with the people that you're living yeah. around. And you feel like you're part of it's something. Live. It's live. Better yep. than yourself. And I, I know those DJs, those anchors. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I just moved back to New York, which is where I grew up, from California. Parasocial relationships. And I got to say, I get a thrill turning on these radio stations as opposed to playing from Bluetooth because I remember that I'm part of this. And I can, you know, when they read the weather, it's not just me checking my weather app. That's all of us together learning what it's going to be. When they tell us traffic, that's all of us sitting on those roads learning what it's going to be. I think that's, and course, that was, stations and algorithms have pushed us millions. into silos. Yeah. Exactly. And well, when I hear the sports guys talking about like how the Jets or the Mets or the Knicks are doing, I'm like, dang, these people are connecting me with thousands of other people who feel the same and way and I do and I, are tuning on now. And it's one of the few shared experiences we still have. God bless you, Alex Kantrowitz. God right. bless you. <laughs> Leo, you and I Thank could have you. said that because you and I grew up with Walter Cronkite, Huntley Brinkley, and whoever the ABC oh, guy and was. And Don Imus. And that son, was it, right? That was uh, it. 66 WNBC. And uh, <laughs> I loved that. And you're right. Alex is exactly right. There was a communality. Um, and But as you're about to point out, I won't steal your thunder, Larry. That's yeah. disappearing. Well, no, it's true. I mean, what I used to, what, what, when I look back at the golden days of TV in the 60s and 70s, I like the fact that virtually every American who was watching TV or was watching one of three networks, and if they were listening to radio, they were watching, listening to one of three or four, uh, you know, local news stations. And I really think that this whole misinformation situation we're in is partially as a result of the fact that we have so many choices that any bozo now can either get on the internet or get on cable news partially say whatever they want. Now, it, I love the fact that we have choices, but I, but I, I bemoan the, well, we, the we un- have, unintended consequences. So what was the term uh, you used, Dan? Para-community? Is that what you called it? Parasocial relationships. You, I mean, we have them now with podcasts. It's when you have uh, a, a, a relationship with, with somebody who doesn't have a relationship with you. Um, so a broadcaster or a podcast host, uh, a Twitch streamer, right? So a parasocial relationship. It's a one-sided, in, uh, one-sided. Asynchronous. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So what is? It's, it's so the, what do they? What do psychologists say about that? I I've experienced I, that because people will come here, or I'll meet people in the street who know me, but I've never met them right. in my life. Because they've spent hundreds or thousands of hours with you. Yeah. You are their friend. Yeah. But, but, or they, yeah, you are their friend, but they are not your friend. So but what does that mean? By the way, how you treat them, they will never forget it. Oh, Look, I know. Rude to them, I'm never, never, I'm never rude if I can help it. I'm never rude. Yeah. And there's a relationship between the listeners and the broadcaster, but also the listeners and each other. So there right. becomes these communities of listeners or communities of, for instance, Joe Rogan listeners, and they feel a bond that when they meet somebody else who listens to this, that's stuff, true. They're part of that mm-hmm. community. That's true. You know, Willard Scott passed away uh, this week. Oh. Yeah, I know. 87. Hmm. He was oh. the Today Show weatherman. Yeah, that's a perfect thing. example of somebody of a parasocial relationship because Everybody felt like they knew this guy. That was his secret, wasn't it? Was it, it was very like you knew, like he was your buddy. Mm-hmm. 
He wasn't standoffish. All of these broadcasters. That's a good broadcaster. All broadcasters. This oh, is good right. Ones, a yeah. good, I mean, yeah, a good broadcaster is one you feel as though you have a personal relationship with, not one you feel like is broadcasting to millions of people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I had the same experience with Leo. I meet people. I could, what happens with me is nobody recognizes what I look like. But they know they your voice. My voice. Yeah. So I'll be at a restaurant or a radio and somebody say, you that guy? And, <laughs> you know, there's a bond. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Very interesting. Get that, it, it, it did just happen to me also where I walked into uh, one of my new local coffee shops and the guy looked at me and goes, you got a podcast? Wow. Yeah. Wow, he had seen you. a video about great? it on uh, on YouTube recently. It's a big thrill the first over. time. Yeah. yeah, it was cool. I was like, wow. But, I didn't, you know, I see the numbers, but I didn't realize there's actually people behind them. But, you know. I never really believed that. that. There's actually there people there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing when you when you find that and you have that one-on-one connection. So is, so, actually, that's a great point. I wonder if that's going to keep some sort of, does it have to be live? No, you don't have a, you're not listening yeah. to Joe Rogan live. Right. I mean, but, a lot of people are. Oh, really? You can listen live? I mean, we do our stuff live, but it's a, I would say. And Twitch is, Twitch is asynchronous and it's live, right? Yeah, YouTube, yeah, a lot of people watch and live. Actually, that's a good point. A lot of people watch Twitch live. Do we want mm. live? Is that what we want? I don't think live is the issue except for sports and, and certain breaking news. I, I think it's I think it's something else. I think it's the fact that we have such a a balkanization of, of, of providers that's the problem. And again, and again, I'm not bemoaning that because it's also the benefit. We wouldn't have a twit or or you know the big tech podcast if it weren't for the fact that anybody can get into this business without investing billions of dollars in transmitters. So that's the good part. The bad part is <laughs> I only invested business. millions of dollars. So I have well, to- <laughs> you, but you didn't need to invest millions simply to get on the air. Well, you could have what's done that. funny is yeah. when I started in 2005, to do what we wanted to do did cost a lot of money. Now, uh, you got people like uh, Alex Cooper, who just got bought by uh, Spotify for $60 million, who basically mm. uses her phone in bed. <laughs> and, and, and so the technology is also moving in the direction of enabling. Uh, but one of the side effects is now there's a lot more people doing it. And there's a lot more competition. Right. Um, I, you know, and there are a lot more. Maybe this is the larger societal effect. Niches. Narrow. Mm. So, so there's a Joe Rogan listener who doesn't talk to the Alex Cooper listener. They're different. Spotify might 100%. own both of them. In fact, probably that's why Spotify owns both of them, because there's an impermeable barrier between them. And algorithms are amplifying this. And they're amplifying it. Right. Yes. Yeah, is like that good media. or bad? That is that part of the well, problem in this country, is that we've got all these uh, little bubbles that we live in and we don't talk to one another? Yeah. I had this long conversation uh, a couple of weeks ago with Maria Ressa, Roger McNamee, and Chris Wiley. It was an interesting mix of people. Maria Ressa runs Rappler in the Philippines, one of the largest news organizations uh, in her region. She's also been the, the subject, the target of attacks by Duterte. Uh, Roger oh McNamee gosh. was an early investor in Facebook and an author. He's and, also uh, a Chris college Wiley. classmate, I might add. 
Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, and Chris Wiley was the <laughs> Cambridge Analytical whistleblower. And all of them said, I asked them, are there good things that come from this? They all said, look, community can come from this, kind of like what Alex and, and Larry and you were describing. But they said the harm greatly outweighs it because we're actually not creating communities. We're creating silos and they don't talk to each other. When those silos only talk to each other, they create challenges. Some of those are not so bad. Some of those are really bad. But no matter what, when you have information ghettos and silos, it's not a good thing. What you guys are describing are communities, broadcasting, many people with shared values. What social media algorithms do is the opposite of this. At least that was their argument. So I'm a member of the Next Door, you know, nextdoor.com in in Palo Alto. And we're having a vibrant debate over this recall, you know, this uh, attempt Mm. to recall Governor Newsom and replace him with Larry Elder, a right-wing talk show host. And I've been very vocal because I really think the recall is horrible. But but the point is that there actually is a conversation going on between a handful of people who really are pro-recall and a group of people who are anti-recall. And it's, it's refreshing. And I don't get that on Facebook because Facebook, everybody I know agrees with me. They're all they're all like minded people, and it's kind of boring. Is it uh, boy? Uh, is it a shouting match on next door? Uh, well, yeah, it's a shouting match, but it's respectful. I mean, these that's are really interesting. Be careful. Is it? Is it's there progress being made? Is one side persuading the other? Or? Well, that's what I was about to say. That's the problem. Is no, they're if talking are, at each other. If you are a pro recall guy, you are convinced that Gavin Newsom is a devil incarnate, right? And if you're an anti pre, pre uh, recall person, you're worried about a Republican takeover, you know, based on ten percent of the vote right. after they recall the guy. So, so no, there's, there, that's the problem. There's still no movement. <laughs> Shoot, and I thought we'd solved the problem. <laughs> but, or I should say, it's not. There doesn't appear to be movement. But at least there's a conversation. Yeah, and it's, respectful. it's a big yeah. step to just even have a conversation. Um. I think I want to vote for live. I think that there is something in the human biology that likes knowing that the person you're watching right now is doing what they're doing, whether it's not next to you or not right now. Hmm. That when you're driving, somebody in the chat room said, you're driving down the Deegan and, and you're listening to the same thing the guy in the car next to you is listening to. There's something happening there, something yeah. magical happening there. Uh, I kind of hope that succeeds. I, you know, we're nuts. No podcast network does what we do, streams our shows live. Uh, I mean, some do, but it's very expensive and not a not a probably. It's easier now with Twitch and YouTube and stuff, but it was a crazy idea. But I love live because I came from radio. And uh, I just love the idea. And talk radio is a two-way street. It's not right. parasocial. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it is, but it's less so because you're – you're talking to the person who's listening to you at the same time. I like that, but I love talk radio. I just don't want it to go away. And I feel like it probably, the internet's probably going to get rid of it. But the internet, the internet won't, the the internet is just simply a mechanism of delivery. It's a delivery mechanism. It has absolutely nothing to do with the content itself. It doesn't really matter. You can be listening through radio, television, do two cans with a string. You know, it's just a connection that, that all the internet is. Yeah. Twitch has amazing chat rooms, right? I mean, you can watch Twitch later, but it's way better live. Yeah. You have a chat room. They're arguing. They're talking about crazy things that the broadcaster is talking about. No, it's true. All right. Well, we got to, as they used to say in radio, pay some bills. We're going to take a little break. Uh, My my dear friends, Larry Maggot is here uh, of connectsafely.org. Are you the CEO? Is that your? I am the CEO. Yeah. 
How long is that? I will tell been? you how few people work for oh, me. Okay. <laughs> You're the CEO of ConnectSafely.org. Larry Magid on the Twitter. Great to have you. Of course, Dan Patterson from CBS News. CBSN. Is it CBSN.com? Uh, no, it's just CBSNews.com slash live. Nice. CBSNews.com slash live. Uh, and there yeah. are apps for every platform. And I put it on my Apple TV because it's nice to have live news. Yeah. That doesn't yeah. require cable. I think no. it's great. Who's, Sorry, my who's that? Just What's his name? Us. We've been hearing him. What's Hi, his... Fred. Hi. Fred. Hi. Sorry. What is he's, Fred? I know. he's He hears me and then he is... I don't mind. Let Fred uh, where come Where is in. Fred? Is Fred a, a lab? What is Fred? I see a tail. That's come all here. I see. A red Hi. tail. It's not a lab. Yeah. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Leap into daddy's lap. Oh, oh look at that! Hi. What a good boy. Welcome Oh, you're a good boy. Sorry, sorry. No, sorry. he's adorable. I want to take him home. He's he great. Just wants <laughs> I'll that. mute this. Look at that good boy. And he's tag after member. I mean, you might have to pay him. Yeah, I have to pay him scale. Yeah. Also, <laughs> what's scale for dog appearance on podcast? Very little. Probably more than you're paying me, Leo. Yeah, probably more. Yeah. Also, with us, it's great to have Alex Kantrowitz, bigtechnology.substack.com. And of course, the podcast is there as well is he a ridgeback somebody says uh mr bean thinks that the that uh that the good boy is a not you alex you're not a rhodesian i was ridgeback. about to say this he's is a, a pure mutt he's a mutt i like the mutts he's a i mutt. like the mutts he's a good boy though you know if you have a dog or you have wildfires or as in petaluma you have a uh, a season where people are fertilizing you might wish you had a molecule <laughs> Oh. <laughs> we, <Good transition. laughs> we got a molecule i have to say and uh we we know when it's not working we have to remember sometimes people turn it off or whatever and lisa will wake up and say the molecule was off last night wasn't it i said yes it was she said i got a headache molecule that was the first one we got we liked it so much we got one for michael's bedroom now we have one in the studio molecules reimagining the future of clear air starting with the air purifier now the thing to understand about the molecule thing a lot of people don't understand it's it's not a filter it's not something trapping particles uh for later disposal molecules core technology is it's called pico p-e-c-o it's short for photoelectrochemical oxidation it actually destroys tiny harmful pollutants Things like things that no filter will capture, like uh, volatile organic compounds, paint thinner in the air, formaldehyde, uh, viruses, yes, bacteria, yes, mold, yes. Molecule air purifiers help protect homes, businesses, even medical spaces. In fact, I should mention the Molecule Air Pro RX uses the same technology, got FDA approval, 510K Class II medical device. To specifically for medical offices to destroy bacteria and viruses in the air. It really works. In fact, if you go to the Molecule website, you can see research papers uh, from uh, government research labs, DOE labs, like the Lawrence uh, Berkeley lab, where they tested the Molecule and found it actually eliminated formaldehyde from the air. One of the things Molecule does is great. Some air purifiers put ozone into the air. Molecule also reduces ozone, another harmful uh, compound in the air. And by the way, yes, 
Molecules Pico technology meets the performance requirements and the FDA guidance for use in helping to reduce the risk of exposure to SARS-CoV-2, the COVID-19 virus in healthcare settings. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't wash your hands and practice social distancing and wear masks, but it is. That's one of the reasons we're really glad to have molecules in the studio. It's an extra layer of virus protection for your spaces. I am very impressed. Dirty indoor air is actually worse than outside air. In a lot of offices, you can't open the windows. You can't open the windows here. It's a sealed office. That means the air in here is not great. That's why you need to get a molecule. The Molecule Air Mini, designed for smaller rooms, up to 250 square feet. Your bedroom would be perfect. The larger Molecule Air, for larger rooms, up to 600 square feet. We've got the Molecule Air Pro. That's for 1,000 square feet. I'm looking at it right now. One of the, actually, one of the reasons we had to have it is after the wildfires a couple of years ago, it made it impossible to be inside because of all the smoke. Took care of that. They also have a Molecule Air Mini Plus, which helps protect small rooms with a particle sensor and auto-protect mode. So the fan speed is adjusted depending on the quality of the air. We just love our molecules. And I mean molecules. I've invested quite a bit in molecules. For a limited time, save up to $120 on Molecule Air Purifiers. Just go to M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E dot com, Molecule dot com, Molecule with a, with a K, not a C. And use our promo code TWIT. You'll get free shipping, a 30-day at-home trial on your order. You know, if you're at all, you know, is this going to work for me? Try that. Get the 30-day trial and see. The code TWIT will save you up to $120 on Molecule Air Purifiers at Molecule.com. And if you don't, if, you, if you're skeptical, read the research. There's a lot of research papers on the website so you can verify that I am speaking the truth. It really does work. Molecule. We love them. Molecule.com. Offer code TWIT. Uh, we are probably something like a week away from a new iPhone. It's unclear. Uh, typically, Apple will do it early in September. No one's saying. Best guess would be, I think, not this week, but on the 14th. There was a wild rumor that Apple would add satellite features to its phone, that it would use low-Earth orbit satellites specifically from GlobalStar to provide emergency services on the phone. Uh, this originally came from a, an analyst. Let me pause that so we don't hear the video from uh, Bloomberg. Um, Bloomberg's um, uh, uh, Mark Gurman, who's usually very well connected, kind of tamped down the speculation. He said, the next iPhone could have hardware needed for satellite communications, but he says even if they do, the features are unlikely to be ready for before next year, according to a person who has to not be identified because the plans are not yet public. Bloomberg also, this is bullet boilerplate now in all Apple rumor stories. These features could also change or be scrapped before they're released. An Apple representative declined to comment. But Mark had a lot of detailed information. I think this is probably a good thing. Uh, emergency message via satellite. So if you are lost or injured and you're outside satellite, you could send a message in your messages app using not SMS, the phone network, or IMS message using data, but using satellites. And you'd get a gray message bubble instead of green or blue. I like that. Uh, the second feature will be a tool to report major emergencies like plane crashes, sinking ships, also using satellite networks. The texting via satellite tool is codenamed Stewie. 
inside Apple, and they will be short length. They'll push through to an emergency phone's emergency contacts phone, even if the do not disturb setting is on. So uh, I think this is a good thing. We'll see if it happens. An Apple event, if it happens, will be we'll certainly stream it. Uh, and uh, I'm going to guess my best guess is September 14th, which is a week from Tuesday. Anybody want to say anything about that? <laughs> I like you know, this idea. People, I think it's a great idea, right? I, I think that with, if we had this idea, we wouldn't have that movie 127 Hours with uh, James Franco. Guy would wouldn't have to chew his arm off. In, That's right. In the yeah. rock and yeah. pull out the iPhone and you text, hey, I'm stuck, and then you're saved. So I'm into it. But I, mean, I think it's a great idea. I mean, you, there are devices you can buy or rent. Spot watches out hiking. and stuff. Yeah. yeah my, my daughter rents one when she goes hiking in the backcountry. Just you know, for emergencies. Yeah, there are uh, there are two different kinds of um, this kind of emergency stuff. REI had a good article. The um, they're the bank, the camping supply uh, company. They have they sell both personal trackers and uh, then then messengers, emergency mm-hmm. messengers, spot watches. I think a good thing mm-hmm. to have. And certainly these are small. There's no reason you couldn't have that technology in a in an iPhone or even an Apple Watch. So. I will hope that uh, hope that is the case. Um, I guess that wasn't a good conversation starter, so let me find another one. How about Texas? <laughs> How about Texas? <laughs> oh, boy. We're going to talk about abortion? No, we're not going to talk about abortion. But there is a tech angle to this, which is that this law, which, uh, again, is kind of gamifying uh, Roe v. Wade, would encourage private people to snitch on abortion providers or anybody who abets, aids or abets an abortion. And in order to do this, they set up websites uh, to do this, which immediately stimulated uh, action from the tech sector. Silicon Valley responded right away. GoDaddy, the initial website, which was set up on GoDaddy, was shut down within uh, a day. They moved to... uh, um, DigitalOcean, which I think has already shut it down. Mark Benioff has canceled all of Salesforce's business in... Oh, no, I'm sorry. That was in Indiana when they did something similar. Um, I imagine uh, there, there'll be a bit of a backlash. Did you see Uber the Uber? And Lyft? Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. So the idea is if you drive someone to the abortion clinic, can you be sued for $10,000? Yes. Is that what they're saying? Yes, because you're aiding and abetting. Plus, it incents somebody who sees that to go because there's a ten thousand dollar reward to go right. onto the website and say, "Hey, I just saw somebody leave for an abortion clinic in an Uber." So, so if you're an Uber driver, you have to have somebody certify that you're not going to get an abortion. No, Uber I mean, and Lyft has announced they will pay legal fees. Good. And what about an airline? What if you fly to another state? Can the airline be sued, or is that okay because you're not getting the abortion in Texas? I would be federal jurisdiction, not state, so they can't get you for that. I would hope that's, not. That's, that'll help. Whatever happened to afford to fly? This is, uh, you know, <laughs> they talk about Sharia law. <laughs> I think we're getting close. Yeah. Well, doesn't Texas respect the right of businesses to make their own decisions and whatever happens? Yeah, that used to be that used to be a, a rule, right? Yeah, yeah. Already, uh, TikTok users are flooding the uh, Texas abortion site with fake tips. Apparently, it's pretty easy to generate a fake address for that's in <laughs> Texas. 
So the website ProfileWhistleblower.com, which was set up by Texas Right to Life, that's the one that got kicked from GoDaddy and elsewhere, uh, is being flooded with phony tips. Don't mess with 4chan, man. Don't mess with them. Uh, kind of funny because don't mess with Texas is a, uh, yeah. almost a cliche. Yeah. But doesn't that, Leo, doesn't it freak you out a little bit when uh, people organize and end up taking political action via TikTok? Because at the end of the day, it is a Chinese company. And I don't mean to fear monger, but, you know, is there a point where the Chinese government exerts its influence over that company and ends up doing something? Yeah, Hong Kong. Using, using the, the users there. Uh, to either start a political movement or using its, its influence to shut one down. Yeah, you can't, see you this, can't port these post, stories. Can you in the U.S. post yeah. pro-Hong Kong TikToks, or would you, will that get yeah. taken down as yes, well? Yes, you can. I think you, you can. can. But the U.S. But in Hong Kong, you could not, especially during the protests. Right. They took all of that down, and they lied about it. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. So, I, you know, it's there was that also that incident where um, – they kept on buying tickets to Trump's first big rally yes. and no one showed up right. because they just expected all these TikTok. That was a TikTok grandmother who organized yeah. that. And there, they, yeah, there, look, there are people that celebrate this stuff. But every time it happens, I become a little bit wary and, and think that, you know, I think Larry, Larry Mag is time, one of those people. But, he just wrote a senior's yeah. guide to TikTok. I did. <laughs> you didn't. I did. Turn it that, it's yeah. not a senior's guide to TikTok hacktivism, though. I gotta say, no. It's a senior's guide to TikTok. Well, we talk. You know, we talk about all the things you can do on TikTok, which include act- activism, but it also includes mm-hmm. you know recipes and health tips. And, and it turns out there are a lot of seniors that I can't remember. But eleven percent of TikTokers are over fifty, which is something that a lot of people. I didn't know that until I read that. I was surprised. And um, a lot of people with gray hair like me are using TikTok. Do you, Dan so Patterson, not use TikTok because of what they did in Hong Kong? Does that, do, like Alex, not does because that of Hong you? Kong? No, oh, no, I would use it uh, to learn about Hong Kong, but no, I don't use. T- I don't have any social media on my phone, um, in part because I'm worried about what it does to me as a person, and uh, in part because, especially with TikTok, and again, I also don't want a fear monger. That's, but I, I, the data that's hoovered up by Facebook, TikTok, and others is not something I'm, it's not an exchange I'm willing to engage in. Uh, and I don't derive value. I mean, there is value from these things, but I don't derive enough value or pleasure from them to make them. Yeah. It's the same reason compromise. I don't have a Facebook or WhatsApp account. I don't. Right. Mean, yeah. Right. I, I found, I just found, I, I mean, I deleted my, my Instagram and Facebook year, years and years ago, but I, I just found that it made me feel worse. Like maybe in the moment there would be some dopamine pings, but at the end of the day, it made me feel worse. And I just didn't like that feeling, but also I just, Look, I, I, I'm not trying to always be down on technology firms and, and social media companies, but I don't trust them. Um, and I don't trust what it's designed to do. It is addictive technology, or at least I, it appears to be addictive technology, so, and I don't want it on my phone. It's not China, per se, that bothers you. It's just the platform. It's the, it's the algorithms, and it's the amount of data that they gather. But But, Alex, it's China that worries you. I mean, I'm personally bothered by the China thing, for sure. Yeah. Um, I ended but up I think- taking TikTok off my phone. Uh, I mean, maybe partially because of that, but also uh, I took part like a couple months in the pandemic and said I was going to learn TikTok. And boy, did I learn it. I got so addicted to the thing. It's very it addictive. time where there were like, yeah. there were some nights where I like finished work and I was like, I just want to lay down in bed and be on TikTok. And I would be on for a couple hours. And I said, you know, it's much like, uh, like Dan said, I'm just, just like, I'm done with this. So I deleted that. I deleted Instagram and you know, I didn't, I don't miss it. Yeah. 
You see, so I killed two I, birds with one stone. <laughs> maybe, maybe I have, maybe I, I'm, I don't have an addictive personality. Although there are things that I feel like I overuse, but I just, you know, look at TikTok for a few minutes now and then, and, and just kind of laugh and move on. And mm. if anything, I probably use too much Facebook uh, because what happens is I get really, ir- I'm, I'm a very political person, and I, I get irritated by things that go on in the world, and I want to complain a lot. So I kvetch. A lot on, on Facebook. Um, but I guess I am willing to make those trade-offs, the ones that some of you guys aren't willing to make. Because I, I do derive value from them. Um, uh, okay. So I'm not sure how China would use TikTok. I guess it could. You know, it could uh, create a, gra- a, quote, simulated grassroots movement to, I don't know, um, get get somebody elected president, for instance. Any TikTok user could do that. But anybody could do that. Yeah, but China. But, I mean, but oh no, no, it's different though. Because yeah, if you use your influence over a company as a sovereign nation, where that company is based, to have them push their algorithms to get not just one person, but lots of people, you know, moving forward toward a political movement, that is very, very different from an individual user trying to yeah. trying to change things. So it's not it's not even like what Russia did with Facebook, which like we can have a debate about whether that was effective or not, but they were like, we're going to use Facebook's algorithms and, you know, put fake accounts there to do it. The worry is that they use the, um, the, they use their influence over TikTok to get the company to change the algorithms, to turn up or turn down some political movement and then cause some sort of disruption or something unnatural here in the U S I think that's. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm sure you've had these conversations, Alex, but I've had conversations with people at Facebook who say, yeah, we react and, and not in the ways that you think we, we are not as liberal as you think. And the decision makers certainly aren't as liberal as you think. And we certainly react. Well, and I, let's be fair. It doesn't matter what political point of view they're espousing. If they're doing it, it's bad. Right. Just because it yes. disagrees with my, my, my progressive politics doesn't make it worse. Than, right. Right. That's precisely it. Yeah. 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 Whether they're left or right, anything that's that's doing that, it would be bad. And on the other hand, I kind of have some sympathy for what China's doing to big tech. You know, they shut down Didi, they shut down Alibaba. Now the latest, <laughs> this one I'm not sure I agree with, but I kind of understand. They've told uh, teenagers, you can only play video games three hours a week, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. and on national holidays. Three hours three days a week and on, they even say the specific time god i you couldn't do that in the u.s can you imagine no no, <laughs> no metaverse in china uh, and yet i think can't even do that i kind of respect that that's like them yeah but i couldn't do it as a parent i tried my parents did it to me they said half an hour of tv a night that was tough mm. i had the router in my in my office when my daughter was a teenager and i would just unplug the <laughs> wi-fi network and that i did it. i did a little more modern thing but i would have uh, have the euro shut off the network at 10 p.m right. on school nights um yeah. but but one hour uh, uh uh for three nights a week wow yeah uh, i don't suppose we'll hear a lot of protests out of chinese teenagers i bet you most uh, most chinese adults say yeah that's right that's a good thing it's not I something I want the Biden this. administration to yeah. emulate. <laughs> there's, there's all. It's this allegedly. I, go, go ahead, you, Alex. Then, no, then no. Dan. Yeah, go, go ahead. ahead, Alex. I mean, there's all this hate, and I get it about screen time, um, and there are legitimate concerns there. But one of the things that 
this stuff does, video games and social media, it gets kids to think creatively, think think outside the box, think abstractly, uh, think outside of the rules of the you know the in real life universe that we live in, and all these and they collaborate too are going to be exactly, and all these skills are going to be critical in the next wave of work. Where like up until now, we've had a take orders and fulfill orders type of workplace. But all those skills that they're building in social media and the gaming world are going to become critical for the jobs of tomorrow. And so when you shut that off, you do shut off in a, a key training place, you know, for your next generation to learn. I guess and we'll know in 10 years if uh, Chinese, Chinese young adults are inept at social yeah. media, <laughs> if it's going to hurt their economy. Dan, what do you think? Well, and it's not, it's, it's only under 18. I I've been told something similar and then it's to help redirect strategic focus, whatever the heck that means, uh, in a statement. Uh, but it, I think that could be a euphemism. It kind of means Actually, a lot there, of there's a, Alex said. there's a lot of thinking I've read, uh, that says really what China is doing is, is it wants its tech sector to focus on innovation that helps on AI, on AI innovation that helps the country and not on consumer, you know, all of our stuff yep. is now consumer innovation. Facebook and Instagram and stuff. And they want to stop that. They said, no, you know what? We want to redirect, strategically redirect our energies towards stuff That's that builds the U.S. argument. Yeah, our argument is that, or, or the U.S. is arguing that this is the reason China is doing this, to redirect strategic focus oh, towards you, activities where, like, there's opportunity costs towards what you spend your time on. And they're, right. allegedly, they're redirecting towards things like AI and other technologies that will be Don't you think, of greater benefit. Is that a mistake? Do you think the Chinese are doing something different? Or do you think that that's accurate? Is this going to be around in a year or two? The ban, this age restriction oh i don't know do they have a history of backing down on stuff like that i don't know hmm. well if it is uh it's a grand experiment <laughs> the thing is you know it may have some strategic advantage for china but as a general parenting policy to limit screen time to an arbitrary number of minutes or hours a day or time you know i'm not That's saying what i told my mom and online dad. at three in the morning That's exactly but- what i told them well, I mean, <laughs> you know, when when a kid's playing a soccer game, the parent doesn't arbitrarily say, "Hey, too much time soccer. for dinner. We're gonna yeah. you quit the soccer game." I mean, yeah. these are collaborative exchanges of people. I mean, I I know there are problems with overuse and, and and kids need to be reined in, but I don't like the arbitrary nature. I mean, aside from the fact it's coming from the government, which is something that would not be tolerated, hopefully, in this country. I don't like the arbitrary nature and yeah. the way they're doing it. I wouldn't mm-hmm. mind seeing a program to encourage kids to exercise more and do other things. But the idea of this arbitrary time limit, one size fits all, this is the way it's got to be, uh, doesn't make sense even when it's coming from the parent, let alone from the government. And do you think our, our best AI engineers didn't play video games? I mean, that's <laughs> nuts. Of course they spent their days in video games. I, I agree. I mean, I've seen about what to build. I've seen pathological use of uh, of the of this, but for yeah. most part, this is this is the future. This is kids have to are going to operate in a world that is not like my world. My parents didn't want me to listen to rock and roll, and now I'm a rock and roll DJ. No, that's wrong. <laughs> but you know, I mean, you got to understand that cultures change, and uh, this is the current culture. And yeah, every, it, every generation has moral panics. That's right. And, and, you know, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I had to cut my hair and stop. No, my parents said, grow your hair long and listen to more rock and roll, but stop watching Batman. They did not mm. want me to watch Batman. We're going to take a little break. And then I have a uh, bunch of short, quick stories so we can get you out of here in 
I know it's been a long show, but I can't stop talking to you guys. You're great. Uh, but we'll wrap it up in just a little bit. First, though, a look at the week that was on Twit. Whoa! Graduates, School of Journalism at City University of New York. Oh! Look who's appeared. It's like Beetlejuice. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> That's Craig Newmark, by Previously on Twit. This week in Google. Craig is, of course, uh, the Craig of Craigslist, uh, but lately has been a great uh, philanthropist. I really do uh, listen to the show fairly religiously. I am uh, very much looking forward to the immoral panic <laughs> Tech News Weekly. I thought I'd spend a little time just going hands-on with the Galaxy Z Fold 3. Um, unfolded, the in inside display is a 7.6-inch display. And, you know, the screen types are different. Obviously, this is a foldable, so you can kind of see there's a little bit of a crease there. Mm -hmm. Windows Weekly. I was thinking if Paul decides he wants to try Linux, it'd be fun to do at least a short series of shows yeah. with Paul, like, going, the what Linux the hell idiot. is this all the, about? The, the yeah, we'll call idiot. it the Linux idiot. Um, hey, um, I noticed there's no ads in this thing. How do I fix where do that? I, where do I turn on the ads? I come from Windows. Um, <laughs> we have album art for your new show. I just want to... Linux for Pauls. <laughs> hey? Hey? This is your brain. This is your brain on Twit. Any uh, questions? A lot, a lot of fun this week on the uh, show. Our show today brought to you by another podcast. If I give a plug, Kevin Rose was here a couple of weeks ago talking about his Modern Finance podcast. I have to say, uh, we, we kind of try to dissect the world of Modern Finance, but really, Kevin is the expert. Uh, the investment world is changing quite a bit. Kevin is one of the, you know, leading investors. He was uh, the founder of Dig, early investor in some of the biggest tech companies in the world, worked at Google Ventures. He's now at True Ventures. Bloomberg called him one of the top 25 angel investors in the country. Time Magazine says Kevin Rose is one of the top 25 most influential people on the web. He's also a smart guy, and his Modern Finance is the podcast to listen to if you want to know more about Bitcoin, NFTs, robo-investors, decentralized finance. It's fantastic. He interviews... Actually, it's smart. He does two different podcasts a week. Show one is, he calls them the consensus episodes, where they explore weekly news, distill it into digestible information. Show two is deeper interviews with individual crypto founders, NFT artists, some of the biggest names in the business. If, well, I didn't understand NFTs at all. I'm going to be the first to admit it until I listen to. It was actually his premiere episode on NFTs. Uh, Kevin has done very well, by the way, in NFTs. If you're curious, if you'd like to know more, join Kevin Rose and the Modern Finance Podcast every single week. You will not want to miss an episode. It helps you make sense of all the coins, the chaos, the NFTs, uh, that are, I think, changing the world in a very significant way. And boy, Kevin is connected. He really gets the people on. Now's the time to equip yourself with the knowledge of where things are going. The financial landscape is harder than ever to navigate, but you don't have to do it alone. Download and subscribe to Modern Finance wherever you listen to podcasts. Kevin Rose's Modern Finance. You can get it wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple or Google or... Uh, there's also a website, modern.finance. I love Kevin. I am thrilled to plug his podcast. Don't be the last person on the next train out. Listen to Modern Finance and get ahead of the future of finance. Really interesting stuff.
and the greatest people on there. Modern Finance. Thank you, Kevin, uh, for being a good friend and for a great podcast. I don't normally like to plug other people's podcasts, but Kevin will make it kind of an exception. Modern.finance is the website or mofi.net, your choice. Uh, a couple of quick short stories before we get out of here. Some big, I think, changes in certain ways and and other things. Uh, according to Front Page Tech, John Prosser, Google's Pixel 6 will be coming October 28th. That seems reasonable. Uh, Google has decided to re- delay the return to office. A lot of companies doing this. Yeah. Till next year. It's kind of indefinite. Apple, Apple II. Uh, Apple doing this as well. Apple II is confusing. Apple II. <laughs> Apple T-double-O. <laughs> Apple also. Ah, there, there. That's good. You and I are the only ones in this, in this who have probably ever used an Apple II. <laughs> <laughs> we remember the Apple II. Isn't that funny how <laughs> stuff moves so fast? And at this point, that's ancient history. Right. Stuff like that. Facebook find, uh, Facebook's WhatsApp find uh, by the EU for 270, equivalent of $270 million for privacy violations. They uh, failed to disclose fully how it collected and shared data about users. Surprise, surprise, surprise. I think Facebook can afford that. But it's still, I mean, that's still a, a hefty amount of money, quarter of a billion. Uh, Twitter has launched its super follows on iOS. And yes, Apple gets 30% of each and every super follow. You can, you can now charge for tweets. Congratulations. I'm not. Ex- I'm not rushing to sign up for that. And a percentage to Twitter. So you're giving yeah. Twitter money and you're giving Apple money. Yeah. And I, what are you left with at the end of the I day? I love it that Twitter has disclosed these. exactly how much everybody's getting, so you don't feel bad about the thirty cents you get mm. on the dollar. Um, I'm kind of a little bit mad uh, at uh, my friend uh, Darren Kitchen, whose site is now selling a USB-C to lightning cable that can steal your passwords and other data. The OMG cable, which was uh, debuted, I think it was at DEF CON uh, mm. last year, is now being... That's a chutzpah selling it. Yeah, that's being mass-produced. Mass-produced and sold on Hack 5. Yeah, it's a little bit of chutzpah. It? I'll buy it. Yeah, well, it's the thing is Darren's always sold a lot of hacking tools. Uh, on Hack 5's uh, website. But boy, uh, Apple did not respond to a motherboard's request for comment. The uh, cables include uh, these indistinguishable from Apple's Type-A to Lightning cables. There are also USB-C to USB-C cables. But, I mean, the thing that's important to understand is now you can put... Chipsets are so small, without modifying the cable in any significant way, you could put a radio in there that streams out everything you're you're using. And uh, Motherboard tested it in downtown Oakland. They were able to Im- trigger payloads. Oh, no, I'm sorry. MG tested it uh, at over a mile. You could be a mile away and see what's going over those cables. They've even added a geofencing uh, feature where a user can trigger or block the device's payloads based on the physical location of the cable. So as long as it stays in the victim's house, it works. Otherwise, don't worry about it. Anyway, I just thought I'd let you know, hack5.com, if you want to buy one of those. And I guess the bottom line, don't trust any cables unless you know where they came from. 
don't enjoy your Labor Day weekend if you're in IT. The U.S. government is telling uh, IT professionals, patch your Atlassian confluence immediately. CVE 2021-26084 is ongoing, an ongoing zero day. And the U.S. Cybercom actually said, this cannot wait till after the weekend. I'll do it Tuesday. It's Labor Day. No. It's a it's a zero day. Um, Qualcomm has debuted a new Bluetooth technology that says will give you CD quality. It's lossless. It'll be in the next generation of uh, Snapdragon chips. It's called Aptex Lossless. But uh, you can't get it on an iPhone because they. Hey, hey Leo, my chips. my Bluetooth player just broke. Should I bother replacing it? Is there any reason to own a Bluetooth DVD player these days? You mean Blu-ray? I'm sorry, Blu-ray. Excuse Don't me. confuse them. Blue I'm is sorry, not, blue, blue, all blues are blue. different. I was half listening <laughs> this, to you. I, I feel I, like I I, this is a question for the tech guy. Yeah. <laughs> my I mean, Bluetooth DVD no. player died. <laughs> Blu-ray, Blu-ray. And hey. I, <laughs> no, yeah, Blu-ray, no, I, I mean, wouldn't. Well, that's a you know that's actually a great debate. Is uh, is physical media Xbox. dead? I've been saying physical media is dead forever. You can. My ex- wife keeps coming. She keeps going to the library and bringing back these DVDs. Well, then you need the to. Then you need to get another one. I'm sorry to say. The good news is no. they're cheap. Yeah. I would get a UHD one. Do you have a 4K TV? Yeah. yeah. Well, get a UHD one. Then you get now you can upgrade it to 4K. Not if it encourages my wife to keep going to the library and bringing back physical media because it drives me nuts. <laughs> but anyway, sorry to, sorry to interrupt. No, that's a good – actually, that's a great question. Um, but this is – no, this is not about Blu-ray. This is about Bluetooth. I'm sorry. That's <laughs> what I get for reading while you're talking. I was actually doing emails. Thank you, Emily Latella. There's another outdated – reference you know what i'm talking about gilda radner's character on saturday night live oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah what's all this about bluetooth dvd players <laughs> <laughs> never mind never, never mind. mind never mind uh amazon's about to launch a tv probably somebody else will make it these are all you know i'm glad with these are the shorties because there was not no conversation these are not conversation starters well, if you, mis- if you misinterpret Bluetooth and Blu-ray, you've got something to talk about. <laughs> Thank you. You owe it to me, Lou. <laughs> At least you started a conversation. Thank, Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Apple is buying my favorite streaming classical music service, Prime Phonic, and they immediately put it out of business, which pisses the hell out of me. They say, you know, we're going to do a version later. Great. So what do I do between now and then? <laughs> Uh, I did get like a when U.S. Air bought PSA and then put it out of business. Yeah, they destroyed a great airline. Yeah, I loved PSA. Yeah, I loved the stewardess outfits on PSA. <laughs> That's how I used to fly to school every year. Is I PSA had uh, you didn't? It was like Southwest hot pants. They had, well, no, I was yes, I was moving on. But okay, we can talk about the hot pants. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the, people the, the should flight attendants. Thank yeah, you. I don't yeah. think flight attendants sh- should be required to wear hot pants. I agree, uh, but but they did. Uh, and and skorts, they were famous for their uh, for their outfits. But they also had ten dollar flights between LA and San Francisco, which is why I love them. That's why I flew them to school. Yeah, and they also had uh, I think it was open seating like uh, like Southwest does now. But they also had seats facing each other. Yeah, like on the they train, did, like a little lounge. Yeah, yeah. I loved that. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> to, to just just to put this in perspective, Larry and I were in our early twenties. We didn't know any better. 
We thought, I, we I thought, didn't appreciate it. I thought squirts no, I actually were a good didn't idea. I, I thought that even back then I knew that was sexist. Yeah. And, and that flight attendants are there for safety, not for. Thank you. Appeal, Boy, but, you really right. were very politically I was correct. I was ahead of the time. Yeah. You were way ahead of the time. I was. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, I went to Berkeley. Uh, anything else? You went to. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. No wonder you flew to flew PSA. Um, House committee investigating. I guess we should have started with this one because I bet you guys will have something to say about this. The House committee investigating the January 6th insurrection has gone on a social media phishing expedition. They're asking for records from everybody, Google and Reddit and Snapchat and Telegram, but also TikTok, Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, 4chan, 8kun, Facebook, Gab and Parler, everybody. It's well within their per, their uh, purview, I think. I wouldn't call that a fishing exposition. I don't like the frame on that. This seems to be um, doing their job, subpoenaing records about a crime. Okay. Okay. Maybe you can call it fishing, whatever. Uh, there are some dozen. things that maybe they shouldn't have asked for that they did, including internal communications, reports, documents, and other materials relating to internal employee concerns about content on the platform. That seems like more than going after uh, they shouldn't rioters. Do that. They probably shouldn't do that. I'm actually just reading the headline from Tech Dirt. That's that's where yeah. the, the social media. Oh, I know. I'm sorry for giving you a hard time. No, I, I just don't like. No, that's exactly that this. Uh, like, why. This is what the government should be doing. Do you, th- you think they're doing the right thing? Exactly I, I don't know precisely what they're doing, but I mean, there was there was a crime, and we know how and where much of the cl- crime was planned. Right. And like we talked about at the very beginning of this argument or discussion uh, show, I'm sorry for saying argument, but um, there's a difference between asking for reasonable things that help prosecute a crime and asking for unreasonable things. Good and point. I, I mean, I well taken. That's all. That's all. I. That's all. Yeah. That's and if all. they're doing anything sorry, to sorry. impinge on people's right, for example, to attend the rally, which was legal. I mean, I didn't I, I hated it, but it was legal. There's a big difference between that and people who are breaking into the Capitol. And it just really depends on what they're asking for and where it's leading. I, I have no problem with them political. asking for stuff that was posted publicly, even if it was later pulled down. And that, I think that's the bulk of yeah, it. It's public. It's, yep. the, it's the internal private stuff, I think, probably. Well, they have the right to do it. It's a congressional subpoena. It's, uh, it has the weight of law behind it. Uh, also, sometimes, sometimes, just to close this off, sometimes things are complicated in this world and sometimes they're really simple. Yeah. And I feel like we're trying to make this more complicated than it is. And by we, I mean, I don't know, maybe the discussion, the country, right? Like at the end of the day, there was one guy who was the president who told all of his supporters to come down to D.C. on the day that they were going to start to count the electoral votes, told them it was going to be wild, and then marched him down to the Capitol, and in they went. And, yeah, there might have been some communication, but I think the danger is that what Congress does is makes this more about the technology companies and about the guy that Good gave the marching orders. Point. Actually, yeah. that's an excellent point. You didn't. Oh, I, I, you didn't have, I want to push back on that a little bit. I, I look. I, I don't know what Congress is asking for for the tech from the technology companies, and they should not ask for more than what is legal. And I'm not justifying Congress, and and certainly not the technology companies. But that's not all the president, the former president, did. Nor is it all that happened prior. And there, there 
was planning of violence that happened prior. These were conversations that were happening. Some were happening private, some were happening publicly, mm-hmm. but this wasn't one situation where a president directed his followers to go and it would be wild. And then it just happened to be wild. No, there was premeditation to this. I of do, course. I do have to love signal. the cluelessness of Matt Gates, Lauren Burbert, Louis Gohmert, who's, by the way, the guy who thought the Bureau uh, of... Uh, forestry and land and forestry management could move the moon to improve climate change uh and other members of congress who wrote a letter saying (laughs) to marissa meyer president and ceo of yahoo (laughs) this is two days ago they wrote this letter saying uh do not turn over any of our records marissa please I don't, think, I don't think she has uh, those records. I'll be honest with you. Uh, they can be sure. Marissa yeah, I'm not arguing for the confidence over. of Congress. <laughs> and I'm not trying to be rude to Alex either. They sent it to all no, the telecom. Well, I welcome the disagreement. They're, they're looking for telecom records, too. But I think you're right. If the crime is committed, it's not a fishing expedition unless they're asking for every bit of the data. They're saying for these specific people, that's not a fishing expedition. That's an investigation. Of and course, I think that's it's a, an investigation. But let's not lose sight of the fact that it was Facebook and Twitter. It wasn't their fault. No, I agree. This. And if it wasn't, if the people who organized organized on a Facebook group, they would have organized on a Telegram group if they couldn't have been on Facebook. And at yep. the end of the day, they were there on January 6th because the commander in chief told them to be there on January 6th. So. And to be fair, I doubt that Matt Gates or Lauren Borbert or Marjorie Taylor Greene wrote this letter to Marissa Meyer. Some staff, they were writing uh, the same letter to all of the telecom companies. Some staffer mm-hmm probably realize, didn't realize that Marissa Meyer had left There's, Yahoo. Gotta, and then, in fact, Yahoo had been sold several times <laughs> since. <laughs> so, you know, it was just a you know, mail merge. Bad mail merge. Not their fault. Uh, finally, the, in good news, for humans anyway, a judge has ruled that only humans can get patents. Hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, there was an artificial inventor project run out of the University of Surrey, uh, a global effort to get a computer listed as an inventor. They applied for a a patent in the United States, but a federal judge ruled that, you know what? Uh, Federal law in the U.S. requires that a, quote, individual take an oath that he or she is the inventor on a patent application. And Judge Leonie Brinkema of Alexandria, Virginia, ruled that no AI can take an oath. (laughs) <laughs> but wait a minute. Does that mean that a human who employs AI to develop a product can't patent that product? The human can. Yes, the, the, the human can. The, the goal of this was to get the patent in the name of the AI. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's all fun and games until the AI shows up in front I know. of the judge's houses and demands credit for what it did. Professor, uh, law yeah. professor Ryan Abbott, who launched this effort, says we respectfully disagree with the judgment and plan to appeal it. So we haven't heard the last of it. We believe listing an AI as an inventor is consistent with both the language and purpose of the Patent Act. Wow. AI rights. I mean, those, those robots have, right have, on, have dude. valuable rights. Yeah. No AI should ever be forced to wear a skirt. Yeah. I'm 100% behind that. Yeah. I agree. Power to the AI. Thank you, Larry Magid. ConnectSafely.org, CBS Radio. Anything else you want to mention or plug? Uh, you can go to Larry's World and read some of my Mercury News columns. There you go. Larry'sWorld.com. Yeah. Thank you, Larry. Always a pleasure. Yeah. Always a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, uh, Alex Kantrowitz. Uh, don't forget... 
technology, bigtechnology.substack.com for the newsletter, the podcast. What's always day one about? Always day one is my book about the tech giants. So there's a chapter each on Facebook, Google, Amazon, Apple, and Microsoft. And it's all about how they are led internally, how they... Um, how their cultures operate and how they use artificial intelligence to make room to invent. And it's about their way that they, the the way that they reinvent. So they do come in as if it's their first day. And if you read the book, you'll find out uh, exactly how they do it. That was of course, Jeff Bezos's motto to keep uh, Amazon on its toes is to always act like it's the first day, always day one. Good book. Highly recommend. Thank you, Leo. Thank you, Alex. Thank you. And Dan Patterson. CBS News, technology editor over there. Anything you would like to mention or plug? No, I plugged all the, the stuff. Sorry for talking over everybody. Uh, yeah. So no, that's part of the uh, part of the joy of, uh, of uh, Zoom <laughs> of conversations, talk of talk radio. Yeah. We can't be polite yeah. because of latency and so forth. And I, know, I think everybody understands that. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. No, this is great. It's always great to, to join you, Larry. Sorry. Uh, um, uh, Fred yapped Leo and I Alex. love Fred. Oh, great Fred's to meet you. my new favorite the dog. Only, the only participant I didn't have any disagreement with. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you guys are great, uh, Alex. Let's uh, we live very close to each other. Let's hang. And Larry, the next time I'm in uh, the Bay, I'd uh, love to grab a coffee and talk radio, man. Yeah, talk radio from six feet God apart. God bless radio. Sounds All good. four of us are, are radio lovers. Who would have thought that, right? We do Twit, not on the radio. You know what? This show is never on the radio. (laughs) It's only on your internets. Uh, We do it every Sunday afternoon after I do a radio show, 2.30 Pacific, 5.30 Eastern, 21.30 UTC. I mention that because you can watch it live. If you're one of those people, likes to know that you're watching at the same time as we're doing it, go to twit.tv slash live. There's live audio and video there. One of the advantages, one of the reasons we do it live is because we like the live interaction from our listeners, both by our chat room at irc.twit.tv. I don't know what that is. What are we seeing there, John? There you go. That's something else. That's our Discord server. If you're a member of Club Twit, twit.tv slash Club Twit, you can go on in there and post things like uh, this. I don't know what. It's the Android Mark Zuckerberg, I guess. Yeah, saying, it looks like Zuckerberg. Yeah, I am sorry. That was a big mistake. And it was my mistake. And I am sorry. <laughs> uh, Club Twit is a lot of fun because of the animated GIFs but it, you can also uh, join the offline uh, chats at our Discord our, sorry, Discourse server which is twit.community or twit.social our Mastodon server lots of ways to interact we appreciate all, our th- all your thoughts uh, and comments in fact the best thing you could do is subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast client and leave us a five star review let the world know about one of the longest-running, if not the longest-running, uh, tech news podcasts this week in tech. Thank you all for being here. We'll see you next time. Another twit is in the can. Bye-bye. Doing the twit. Doing the twit. All right. Doing the twit, baby. Doing the twit. All right. Doing the twit, baby. <laughs>